Hello Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 49 and in this edition we rifle through the files of Stars, the BSAA and Delta Force as we look over the many appearances of the Master of Unlocking, its profile, Jill Valentine. My name is Cy and joining me on the panel this week, you want stars? He'll give you stars. It's Firebutton Steve Valance. Thank you. I will take this then. Uh, hello everybody. And finding her way onto the podcast by playing Moonlight Sonata on a very specific piano. Our special guest this week, longtime RE community member, writer for Rely on Horror, beloved artist and mastermind of the comic book adaptation of George A. Romero's Resident Evil script, it's October Keegan. Hi everyone, that was a very flattering introduction, thank you. Very welcome, it's all downhill from here, so... Uh, well. <laughs> Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page. Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash FASpraypod for a full list and the chance to create bonus first aid spray content. So there's a, a this is a doozy of some housekeeping on this one. If you haven't been following us on social media or you aren't subscribed to us on YouTube, first of all, fix those things. Second of all, uh, bear with us. So, of course, special thank you to our new patrons, first of all. Thank you to Walk Different and thank you to Cosmos and thank you to all of our continued Patreon supporters, and everyone who has jumped to the new tier, which we revealed recently. The fourth and final First Days by Patreon tier, which is Mastermind. Uh, so for $8 a month, that will get you everything that all the other tiers get, and some handy-dandy exclusives as well. Um, I think I can officially confirm at this point we are working on a exclusive that will stay exclusive for Masterminds forever. Uh, but it will also get you early access to our two new shows. That's right, we have two new shows on top of everything else that we already do. Uh, so Tear Death Experience is our ranking show. Survival horror and Resident Evil aspects of all kinds. Uh, we will debate, argue uh, over them and put them from S rank down to D rank. The first episode is over on our YouTube uh, where we go over the very much beloved subject of box art. So what is the worst and best box art and which one did I get very, very upset about? You can check that out now over on our YouTube. The second episode is available for Masterminds Now, which is ranking Hunter B.O.W. variants. And the second show is Memory Card Lane. This is something that we've been working on really hard. It is an ode to sort of 1990s gaming TV and magazines. Uh, Steve, uh, Sherwin and Jordan are sitting down and discussing games from the past, sometimes classics, but more often not games that you've forgotten about completely or perhaps never knew existed at all, and sort of discussing their history with them as well as where that game was when it landed, sort of the reaction at the time and its contemporaries, as well as where it sits now and the sort of grand history of video gaming as a whole and uh, shining the harsh light of day on those titles in some cases. Episode 1 is Excalibur 2555 AD, a very strange action-adventure game for the PlayStation 1. And if you're a mastermind uh, Patreon supporter, you can check out Episode 2 immediately, which is Jumping Flash, sometimes, quite rightfully perhaps, referred to as one of the earliest 3D platforming games of all time. Uh, so yes, 
new episodes of those shows are out on YouTube if you want to check them out. And if you want early access to them, Mastermind Tier is the place to go. So thank you to all of our patrons once again. And just a quick shout out before we move on as well to, since this is a profile episode, Distant Memories 1996, who you can follow on Twitter at Distant Memory 96, has provided yet another dose of uh, original writings, some really fantastic stuff from the perspective of Jill Valentine, which is being performed on this episode by our friend and First Aid Spray contributor, uh, Dervla Clue, who you will remember as playing Jill in Resident Evil The Beginning, returning to that role once more. You can find her on Twitter at DK Voices. But let's get to our guest panelist waiting patiently um obviously i want to talk about i mean if you're part of the resident evil twitter community you already know who october is so i want to love to talk about that with you but let's go right back to the beginning uh your earliest experience with resident evil what was that like what game was it did you see it or play it and kind of what drew you into the series that we all love very much at this point uh my earliest experience with resident evil was um at a thanksgiving party uh, of all things, uh, my parents were like essentially super anti video game. They saw them as a huge waste of time. And so I didn't have access to any video games whatsoever. And uh, at this Thanksgiving party was thrown by my dad's boss at the time. And his son was a little older and he had a PlayStation one. And I was really into horror stuff. Um, whenever I was at an arcade, I'd play carnival um, I loved scary movies and goosebumps and whole nine yards. And he had a copy of resident evil Two, And I knew the box art, uh, because, uh, there were like ads for it in comic books and stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. And I begged him to let me try it. And he's like, are you sure that your dad will be okay with this? And, you know, I lied and said, yeah, no, it'll be fine. And I played it for like five minutes and got so scared by, the zombies breaking through the window of Kendo's shop uh, that I just noped out and I had nightmares. Um, <laughs> and a couple years later, the movie came out and all of my friends got super into the games. And at that point I'd earned a little more um, trying to think of the word independence uh, along with like kind of my own money doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got myself a GameCube. And I got myself a copy of RE0, and the rest, as they say, is history. And I played through the series uh, in its entirety on GameCube up to four at that point. That's awesome. That's yeah. I love the the GameCube. Is re- I feel personally is very special for Resident Evil for that reason that you've just said that it's got zero remake two, three, and four on it. Like and just seeing them. And Code for- yes, you're right as well. Code Veronica X, like seeing them all lined up on my shelf nicely always makes me smile. Um, so yeah, that that was a real moment in terms of Resident Evil history, having all those games in one place, certainly. Um, so from there, at some point, um, you joined Rely on Horror. Um, how did that come to be? When was that? Because I feel like that website's been around a long time now. Yeah, Rely's been around since 2009. Um, mm. so it, it's been, it, it started as a fan site called, um, resident evil horror. I believe yeah. that was a little before my time. Um, I was hired on because I started doing a resident evil fan comic that I called resident evil unlimited. Um, it's aged very badly, but if you want to find it, it's literally the only thing on the internet called resident evil unlimited. So it's not hard <laughs> to find. Uh, and basically the idea was I just wanted to 
do a comics adaption of RE1 that shored up all of the um, continuity weirdness between mm. Chris and Jill's campaigns. Uh, it didn't get very far because I was kind of unaware of what Rely on Horror was. I was just brought on to do this comic. And if they needed other illustration type stuff, like I remember I did a um, like a banner image for the site that I don't think they ever even used. But it was like Nemesis holding like a welcome to Raccoon City sign. Um, but very quickly it was like, hey, we're understaffed. Would you mind writing this news? And eventually writing news kind of took over from the comic stuff and the comic kind of got put on the wayside. And over a couple of years, I became their like de facto Resident Evil person because I knew more about it than anybody else on the site. And now I'm pretty much like, unless I'm literally unavailable, I'm like the only person that really covers Resident Evil stuff for the site. Um, and I've been doing that for 10 years now. I started in 2011 and uh, going strong still. Nice. That's cool. It's, it's funny that it's, it started with comic because obviously that's my next thing that I wanted to ask you about, <clears throat> which is the rather recently revealed um adaptation of the george romero script so for those people who are listening who might not be aware uh before the paul ws anderson 2002 film george romero did indeed write a script for a resident evil film which was rejected by the studio i think that's correct um yes but it's it i think i guess it, it landed online at some point it's out there to read if you're interested um and october i mean i it's something that i talked to someone recently about about it's one of those things where it's like, it's shocking that nobody's tried to do something with that. Um, and you are doing something with it, like turning it into a comic book. How did that idea come about? Um, so a couple of years ago, I was talking to a friend about it. It's actually, I literally just stumbled on it. It mm. sounded like an old Facebook chat from like 2017 or something. But basically... Um, I was rereading his script and I used to be very much one of those people. It's like his script sucks because it changed these things when meanwhile, for anybody that hasn't read it, it's weirdly, even though it does change a lot, there's a lot of like surface level stuff that I think would probably bother a lot of fans. Like Chris Redfield isn't a member of stars. He's a raccoon city local. He's a native American man that works on a farm. Um, and his only connection to stars is he's Jill Valentine's boyfriend. Mm. Um, but it's also the only version of Resident Evil on screen that's like an actual adaption. Like every member of Stars is there. Almost every BOW except for Spiders and Chimera are in it. And uh, it follows the basic gist of the game's story. Um, you know, I, again, changes stuff. Um, but it is weird because, and this is something I talk about uh, on my Twitter is you can't look at it in terms of a modern day viewing. His script was written in 1998, which means that only Resident Evil 1 and 2 existed at the time. Yeah. Uh, the grand majority of Resident Evil lore wasn't established. And uh, as such, there's a lot of things that either he had to just make up or are based on old lore. Um, like in his script, Stars is a government... Um, unit right uh which you know all of us as fans know it's just like the 
RPD's version of SWAT. But in 1996, the manual for the PS1 version of RE1 says that STARS is a government agency. And that's what S.D. Perry used in her novelization right. yep. Uh, yep. as well. So it's like, that's technically not a change. And you have to remember that. So uh, anyway, getting to how it came about, it's basically just, it was kind of frustrating to me that, that especially as things like Welcome to Raccoon City came out and hearing a lot of people complain about the changes that that film made, um, which to date, it is the most accurate film that we've gotten. Not that I mean the Anderson movies didn't try, so I don't know if that counts. But um, is this kind of like you know Romero's script isn't bad; it's different, but it's a pretty good zombie movie, and it's a pretty good Resident Evil adaptation, all things considered. And it's a shame that nothing has or ever will be done with it. It's a public domain script. It's in the. It was released into like the library of Pittsburgh's arts or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And from what I understand, it is not the only draft he wrote. He wrote about a dozen, but it's the only draft we have access to. And it's his very first draft. Um, And it was reject. A lot of fans think it was rejected because it was bad. That's not true. It was rejected because it was too gory and too expensive. Right. Um, German production company, Constantin films, uh, Germany is not really all that keen on hypergraphic violence in yeah. films, especially not in 1998. And his script was rejected multiple times for being too gory and too expensive. And Paul W.S. Anderson's script came along, which is shot in cement boxes and has one digital effect. So <laughs> they went with yes. that one. Yes, I I guess it's, yeah, you're so right with German censorship in 1998. I don't think they even got OG Resident Evil 2, uh, from what I understand. Nope. So, uh, yeah, censorship was strong. I can understand that point. And as you say, if this script features, the, you know, pretty much every BOW from the first game, of course it was going to be expensive to make. Yeah. Um, so, Maybe yeah. It's got Yawn. It's got Plant 42. The gang's all here. Um, but <laughs> right. just, to, just to wrap up so it doesn't take up the whole show, uh, I just want to give the script a chance to be seen, to, to yeah. be something other than just like, oh, did you know his script's on, out there? It's on some website, and it's riddled with typos, and it's got all sorts of weird little problems because it's a first draft. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, no, I, I want to give it a chance. And I'm trying really hard not to let my fan brain override it because there's lots of opportunities to be like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I'll just make that like it is in the game. So it's like I, that's not what this movie would have been. Um, You know, I'm forced to come up with my own costume designs for it. There is zero chance that a movie, a video game movie shot in 1999, which is about when this film probably would have been made, would have had game accurate costumes, would have had, you know, game like Barry's Black in it. So it's like I'm sticking with that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's very little chance that the creature designs would have been similar. Um, I'm trying to bear in mind, like the Anderson movie did keep the umbrella logo and the stars logo. So it's like, those probably would have been the same. Cause they're like too iconic in terms of like, you can print those on t-shirts and things, Yeah. but, um, it's, I'm just trying to give it the, the vibe of being a real comic that might've been published as a tie-in to the film, which was very common at that time. Like every major high budget, action movie had a comic book tie-in spider-man mm-hmm. 2 uh jurassic park every everything possible had one 
And if you go and you read the comic on my Twitter, you might notice I've added like a printing uh, halftone texture to it just to try to make it feel as close to a real comic of that era as possible and to try to capture the vibe of what that movie might have been to the best of my ability being one person with his script, which has all sorts of weird issues. Um, I have to, I am being forced to change certain things uh, coming up. Uh, readers might notice if they're familiar with his script. Uh, he forgot to include Chris in the exposition scene where they explain who Umbrella was. He's just not in the room. And then he just knows all that information later. So it's like, right. that's a thing I have to tweak. But yeah. I'm trying to stick as close to his script as possible, uh, keeping in mind things that I'm sure he himself would have fixed in later drafts. So if that's something you're all in, if any of your listeners are at all interested in, uh, you can check it out on my Twitter page. It's at Sissel the Cat, uh, S-I-S-S-L-E, the cat. Um, I am currently up to page 11 publicly. But if you want to support the comic, which is a huge help and it makes it so that I can actually hopefully finish this thing. Uh, I do have a Patreon page. Uh, you can support me for a dollar, five bucks, eight bucks. Uh, and you get a bunch of exclusive stuff, including early access to new pages, as well as like alternate versions, black and white versions, versions that have the 90s filter removed. And there's mm-hmm. also like fun bonus stuff. Like I made a whole pamphlet discussing the characters and my redesigns for their costumes. And there's going to be more coming. The next packet is going to be discussing the mansion, which is called the Arklee mansion. Uh, and it was built by a booze runner during prohibition instead of Oswald Spencer. So lots of fun things to look forward to. That's awesome. Yeah. I, well, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with it. Cause as you've described there, it sounds like quite an undertaking. Um, so yeah, if, as you've quite rightly said, anyone listening who hasn't come across this yet, I uh, would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, it's, yeah, it's super interesting and super unique. All right, let's move on to the latest round of Resident Evil news. Steve, take it away. So our, our first piece of news then is that Resident Evil 4 VR has had an accessibility update. Uh, as someone who hasn't really been following the VR thing, by all means, tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, most of us, uh, I say most of us, all of us haven't had a chance to play it yet because Oculus is expensive. Um, but it's well, good. Well, actually, because I have played it. But... I, was, I was about to throw it to you. That's what I was going to say. Just real quickly, it's really good that they've done this. Um, this is now adding left-hand support, which you'd think would probably have been in it from the beginning, but uh, it's good that it's there. Um, and I think there's height differences now. So if you're reaching for a holster... Uh, you can find something that's more comfortable, stuff like that. Um, so it's good that this is coming. Hopefully we can get more stuff like this too because accessibility is always good for video games in general, especially something that requires, you know, motion controls and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, October, feel free. You know, what, what's your experience been like with RE4 VR? Oh, I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, if you have never played a VR game before, um, or at least not a VR game as involved as this. Mm. Like PSVR has lots of VR stuff, obviously, but they're all mostly kind of um, like on rails or they're things like Batman Arkham VR where you're like in a s- static position, just like picking stuff off a table. Yeah. Um, RE4 VR is an excellent gateway into um, the genre because it's, if you've played Resident Evil 4, it's still Resident Evil 4, you know, it's the exact same game completely converted into VR. 
unbelievably gorgeous new textures. It's the best looking the game has ever been outside of the fan mod. Mm -hmm. Um, They reworked a bunch of geometry and stuff, and they added in, for the first time ever, RE4 has a real lighting engine Um, instead of the baked in, uh, like, coloring lighting and the weird dark circles underneath of everybody. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it's unbelievably fun. Uh, combat is faster and crazier than ever before. Um, and it just feels so freaking great to be inside of that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as, you know, I don't think anybody's surprised now. It it looks like the very, very imminent announcement of RE4 Remake. Um, RE4 VR is the final ultimate way to play the original RE. It's It's... I don't know if there's anything more that can be done to top it in terms of a way to experience that original 2005 game. Yeah, I think that's very true. There's an appropriate way to end out all the jokes and the gaffes about however many ports it's got. Um, If the remake is coming and if it's coming soon, uh, this is like a really wonderful way, as you say, to kind of round it out and be like, yes. It's the the last way to play RE4 for the first time. Yeah, very well, very well said. Um, yeah, just the more I see of it, uh, the more I, I have the urge to play it. Um, hopefully, these updates keep coming. Um, Steve, are you how tempted are you feeling about it now as well that we know that there's mercenaries mode coming as well? The level in constant violence against chainsaw maniacs is definitely appealing, uh, but <laughs> VR is uh, always a bit of a bugbear for me. It makes me very motion sick. Yeah. Like not, nothing else does. So I, the one day will come where I'll try it, and it'll probably be a, a great time, because also I'm left-handed, so hey, I can be catered to. Um, <laughs> I'm just kind of... That's the thing. When someone announces VR as this new amazing thing, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, I'm going to sit here with my controller like a grumpy old man, but I, I will yeah. give it a go. The opportunity arises. I, I will say RE4 VR offers a lot of adjustments for motion sickness issues. It like before you even begin playing, there's like a massive menu of options so you can kind of tweak your experience. Um, like one of one of the coolest things is uh, a lot of games have teleporting if you don't want to do free motion, like free mm-hmm. walking. Uh, and if you teleport instead of like zooming you ahead, which is what most games do, and I can totally see that being kind of sickening, it'll pop out to a third-person perspective, and you'll actually see Leon walk to where you pointed you wanted him to go, and then you'll switch back to his perspective. So it does a lot to try to alleviate motion sickness. Play. Uh, Like I said, if the opportunity arises, I'll happily give it a go. I'm not not against the idea wholesale. Mm. That's really cool. I didn't know that that was a thing. And again, it just speaks to... uh, the fact that they're adding more and more accessibility stuff to this game in general is is always a, always a good thing because I've had mixed experiences with VR personally, um, a little a little bit of motion sickness here and there. Um, and when I did RE seven, for me, I just I did like the turning circle option. I didn't like, and I need to get back into that and sort of have a tweak with it and see what works best. So as many options as possible for these things are are going to be best to allow as many different kinds of people to play this as possible. So our second story this week, Numskull have revealed a brand new Tyrant statue, which is available for purchase on their website. It's very, very pretty is the short version, I think. It's very, very cool. Um, it's gorgeous for the price point. Too. Right, exactly that as well. Like, 
it's what 11 inches or something like that um looks super high quality in the uk if you were to i'm just pulling up an example website but if you want to get it from just just geek for example and i uh, i think this is sort of general rrp you're looking at 80 pounds and in the us about 96 dollars. so that's really really not that bad for such a high quality uh yeah just a fantastic the pose is great the base is needlessly awesome because it's standing in sort of like what remains of the tube shattered tank yeah right uh yeah this is really cool and even on top of that like i'd be tempted to have it just because it's awesome but the problem is is if i buy something like this i'm kind of tied in now because apparently this is uh the first in a set and we already had a bit of a hint at the second one if you were to watch numbskull's video over on their youtube they have a brief show of what's coming next um steve you uh, I don't know what your sort of like situation is with needless but pretty collectibles. Would this interest you? Yeah, uh, this is the right level of price point for a cheapskate like me. You know, as much <laughs> as a big Resident Evil fan as I am, my two like bits of collectible stuff are the old Resident Evil controller and then a chainsaw controller and a hunter somewhere in a loft. So, <laughs> not not a full formed like bio weapon in my loft, as in an action figure. Um, so yeah, having a tyrant in this kind of like, the, the, like you said, the stand itself being the broken tank is a fantastic touch, uh, and it's just the price point as well because normally these things are like you know three hundred pounds right. or four hundred pounds, and it looks on par with what you'd get in the collector's editions of the games. So like say they released remastered now, and this was the kind of thing that I could see being bundled with it. Sure, that's really good. Yeah. Um, what do, do we know? What the next uh, item's going to be? Or well, I mean, I teased it, but it's a it's a liquor. I know that much, uh, which is uh, uh, yeah, it's very cool. I don't know how many there's going to be, or what. I mean, it's quite interesting that they started with the original game's tyrant. Well, it's the remake design, obviously, and then liquor. You know, who's ne- what's next? Maybe do we go to RE3 next, or whatever? Are they going to go pull through and pull like a classic monster from each of the major games? Um, mm. But you're right. Like this would look re- if you've got those collector's edition statues from Remake Two, Three, and Village, this would look probably pretty cool with them as well. If you wanted to spice it up and put some BOWs with your characters as well. October, are you tempted by this? I am very tempted. I don't know where I would put it, but life yeah. finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> life finds a side for it to sit on. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah I can relate to that. Unfortunately. So, our last piece of news is that the Resident Evil Portal have updated with a fancy new history section. This is sort of almost like two announcements. Um, I guess to dial it right back a couple of weeks ago, there were some teases on Twitter that something was coming. I think a lot of people got overexcited about what it could potentially be. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a, a, a fairly swifty update to the Resident Evil website. Um, in terms of... What it is is, is fairly basic. Um, we've got like a new history section we, with the original game, Resident Evil 2, the original Resident Evil 2, the original Resident Evil 3, which is quite interesting choices, and Resident Evil 0 originally, and then this week added to that is Code Veronica and the two Outbreak games, interestingly as well, which is, yeah, I mean, the choices itself are definitely up for discussion. Um, you know, and a little bit of information, music backing track, and I think most importantly, some really cool artwork, some of which is vastly superior to what we've had before really and a lot of it is unseen too yeah there's some new stuff there's some definitely upscaled or touched up stuff october what stands out to you most about this whole thing uh it's the artwork for one uh there's 
surprisingly little. I mean, in comparison to Silent Hill, there's a treasure trove, but there's surprisingly little um, making of material for a lot of Resident Evil games. Mm. And for instance, Outbreak specifically, there's nothing. Yeah, Like it wasn't included in either of the archive books or anything like that. And I'm overjoyed to see the concept art that they've released. They put out um, two pieces of proto liquor artwork, the like in between stage of zombie and liquor, which they keep almost doing. (laughs) It was planned for outbreak and we kind of got it with the um, Regis. Yeah. The, the thing hanging from the ceiling Mm. and remake two has concept art of an in between stage. (laughs) They keep not doing it. And it's such a shame (laughs) But uh, the artwork of those creatures is absolutely phenomenal looking. Uh, there's artwork of zombie rats, which is like another thing that we keep almost getting because it's infected rats are pivotal to the Raccoon City outbreak, but they've just never done it. We got zombie rats in um, Infinite Darkness for five seconds. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm I'm overjoyed, and and on top of that, it's so interesting to see them using these original games, you know, the original RE1, mm. 2, and 3 from the 90s, um, and the Outbreak games. Like, this is the first time Capcom's officially acknowledged these things in years. Yes. And, like, you know, it's really easy to read way too much into it of, like, oh, they're they're getting ready for announcement. I don't think it's that. But that said, people have been doing some compare-contrast between artwork that has been released before and the versions that are on this site, and they are not just upscaled. They have been touched up and slightly repainted in places, which is like, that's a lot of effort for a website that probably like one eighth of the fan base will ever see. Right. So that's interesting to me. Yeah. I, if I was to put my tinfoil hat on in that regard, I don't think this is leading to like a new game announcement or anything possibly, but whatever the 2022 version of Resident Evil Archives is, some kind of history book, maybe. And that's why the artwork is being be dope. Uh, touched up and brought out of the vault and stuff. It would be cool to have some kind of book that goes through really every title. You know, we are very much in the last throes of the, the anniversary year. Um, so that'd be a cool way to just sort of like tie that up. I think Capcom did announce that they had something, like one last thing they're doing before it, officially turns over to the 26th anniversary. Right. Yeah. So could it Which could that's know. it's a prediction it could be that it might not be um it might just be remake 4 probably. Who knows. Uh Steve, what are your expectations on where this is leading and what stands out to you the most? Honestly, you know, I am going to just say the words cuz if I don't we're going to do the world a disservice and yes, we want a classic collection or some kind of recollection right. and hopefully, you know, it, it Cards on the table, the Mega Man ones, they came with like little art book kind of things built into the game themselves. So if this was like a prelude as to what's in them, fantastic. Don't get me wrong. My hopes are high that that is one day a thing. I don't think it's coming anytime soon. Yeah. If, if nothing else, though, the fact that this has got unreleased imagery means that hopefully there's going to be more to come. You know, I, I always like to see those extra peaks behind the curtain. Obviously, the incredibly high quality than we've had before. I think that G-Dog, you know, the old render that we had is... Uh, incomparable you know this one's way clearer and more detailed to the point where people are going you know is it an outbreak tease uh again i would like to say yes but i am uh, also going to be a realist and say probably not because for whatever reason capcom are afraid of that idea <laughs> it's just... i just keep my fingers crossed because they like things like this new um capcom fighters collection which 
it contains the entire Darkstalkers series out of the blue yeah. with full online play. That gives me hope because Capcom hasn't given a shot about Darkstalkers since the PSP. So, like, maybe just do yeah. it. Yeah, no, no. I, I want to be optimistic. It's easy money. I do. You know, I mean, like, we've had Mega Man get the full run, except for, like, I think the Legends games. You know, and even like the. Yeah, and, and like weird spin-offs, but yeah, like all the mainland titles, mainland right. titles except for Legends. And at this point, and those IPs, especially Darkstalkers, are not nearly as sort of treasured and sacred as Resident Evil. You know, they're not the cash cow that Resident Evil is. So it has to happen at some point. You're right. It's just a matter of when that kind of unexpected drop might be. And it, there is no doubt in my mind they must have like seen their social media posts with the constant. Uh, throbbing, baying mass of people going, An announcement of this, when, please, Capcom. And then there was obviously the countdown where everyone got their hopes up for no reason because it was mm. a fighting game thing. It was, of course, going to be a fighting game. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's just hope they're listening and that we get something. If nothing else, the artwork is nice, and I appreciate the fact that these, for a time, lost to history games are getting a bit more love, though. You right. know? Yeah. Cool. Well, that is going to do it for the news for this episode. Let's move right into our main subject of this podcast, which is Profile, Jill Valentine. And now, reading original writings by Distant Memories 1996, who you can find on Twitter at Distant Memory 96, in character as Jill Valentine, Dervla Clue, who you can find on Twitter at DK Voices. Raccoon City, a small Midwestern town in America, home to about 100,000 loyal, tax-paying residents. Two years ago, Mayor Michael Warren finally put an end to all the speculation about the rumored Bright Raccoon 21. The event started early in the evening and played out into the twilight hours of the night, a time when most of the city is at home, presumably safe behind tightly locked doors all so that city officials could break the news firsthand about a remarkable series of announcements to add greater prosperity and security to the city. The conclusion of the night came in the form of the usual talk from Raccoon's local politicians about how they were dedicated to making the everyday lives of those who live here a better place. There was a lot of talk of public relations efforts to show that those in high places still cared about Raccoon City's proud heritage and landmarks, such as the restoration of St. Michael's Clock Tower. Mayor Warren himself was joined by Raccoon City Police Department's Chief Brian Irons to celebrate the night's most monumental news. As part of Bright Raccoon 21's security promises, the city would be creating a brand new task force made up of elite servicemen and women known as the Special Tactics and Rescue Service, or STARS for short, to combat the ever-growing threats and fears facing the populace of Raccoon City. This new group of officers would be made up of those such as myself who came from various military or medical backgrounds. We would be given particular cases from specialist detective work to handling domestic terrorism and cybercrime. The group was divided up into two unique squads, Alpha and Bravo team, each with their own supervising captain, answering directly to Chief Irons. I, alongside four other qualified members, were placed on the STARS Alpha team, 
under the command of Captain Albert Wesker. Upholding my duty as a police officer for the department, especially on behalf of the people of our fair city, has been my first and foremost goal for the last two years. Our team's current mission is to ultimately investigate the truth of the vicious so-called cannibal killer case, as has been prematurely dubbed by the Raccoon Press staff. It's our goal to restore the law and order which has sadly been lost due to these recent events, and hopefully bring a sense of closure as best we can to the families of the victims in all of these case files. This team may have been created as part of some political arrangement bought and paid for by the residents of this town, but my duty and attention to solving this case till the end is my number one top priority from here on out. I have the utmost faith that through our combined efforts here at the RPD, that we will sharply put an end to whoever, or whatever, is out there murdering Raccoon's people. I've already taken a quick glance at a handful of these files. Just based on the photos alone, it's gruesome enough to twist the mind. The thought that someone or something is out there doing this to these poor people. The detailed notes left behind from first responding officers upon discovery of the bodies, or in some of the cases, what was shockingly left of their remains, tell a number of stories about the victims. There were some files that stated their wounds looked to be inflicted by what appear to be wild animals, whereas others pointed to similarities to that of human teeth marks. But we won't know for sure until we get deeper into investigating all of this madness. I've also been told that there are several other boxes waiting to be fully processed for our department, so whatever is going on out there, one thing is for certain that the numbers of victims and missing persons in Raccoon City is steadily rising fast. A grim reality to what is already a nightmare of a situation playing out before our very eyes. So since this is a profile episode, as always, want to do another additional shout out at the top of this um, to break up us going through every major Jill Valentine entry. Uh, we have some pieces of law. Um, and these come supplied to us by our good friends at the Resident Evil Podcast.com, specifically the Batman's Mythology, although specifically in this case I used the new section on their website, which is an encyclopedia where you can search by characters and BOWs, organizations, and so on, uh, rather than trawling through thousands of pages trying to find a particular character or something. Uh, so if you haven't checked out their website already, highly recommend. Uh, so thank you to those guys. Um, I'm going to start us off with a little bit of a backstory before we roll into our first Jill Valentine entry. Uh, Jill was born in America and has mixed-race background, with her father being French and her mother being of Japanese descent. She led a decorated career beginning with the US military, where she became acquainted with Forrest Speyer and later Chris Redfield. Jill's strong sense of justice and refusal to give up, even in hopeless situations, resulted in a unique opportunity to join an experimental US Army Delta Force training program, a classified course designed for women who are otherwise banned from serving on the front lines. This exclusive program made her proficient in firearms and self-defense. She specialised in explosive ordnance disposal, earning high grades from her instructors and was trained to pick a variety of different locks. She also acquired above-average knowledge on drug and chemical matters. 
1996, Jill was recruited into Stars for her already well-developed combat skills. Officially, her rationale for joining Stars was because she could not abide by criminals who threatened innocent lives, but in reality it was much closer to wanting experiences that would give her the true feeling of being alive. In the summer of 1998, she was dispatched to Arclay Mountains to look for the missing Bravo team members, of course setting up the events of the original Resident Evil. Uh, the 1996 version we'll focus on first and then we'll circle back around to the remake as usual. Jill Valentine, one of two playable characters, portrayed by Inez in the live-action version. And if I'm pronouncing this correctly, hopefully so, I apologise if not. Una Kavanagh, who did the voice. Apparently, citation needed on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they say, although I haven't found... Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. The internet's weird because sometimes you get all the knowledge you need and sometimes it's a complete mess. Um, as far as to be legally distinct, allegedly <laughs> Una Kavanagh is the voice actress for the original Jill Valentine. Allegedly, 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 we're only going what the internet tells us. There you I go. I think we're covered. <laughs> okay, um, so let's jump right in. Um, October, I'm going to start with you with a potentially, potentially big, potentially controversial question. Is that... Out of the two playable characters in Resident Evil, why does everybody always go towards Jill? Is it because it's easy mode, or is it just because she's the cooler character over Chris? I think it's probably because she's the cooler character over Chris. Um, you know, I mean, for that era, you had, like, Lara Croft and, and a lot of really badass female characters, so I think that might be part of it, too. But just opening the instruction manual and looking at the two of them, Chris just looks like some guy. Right. Whereas Jill has this really iconic character design with the hat and the the big anime shoulder pads <laughs> um the game i don't think the game itself actually says easy or hard that didn't come until deadly silence i don't think right so i imagine a lot of players didn't even know that um they just flipped between the two characters and either went like oh girl i'll, I'll play as the girl or they went she looks way cooler than guy do we invest? Um, and then, yeah, in in the vest from uh, that that Billy in Predator wears, <laughs> um, or you have uh, like word of mouth of people that play both and are telling a friend, and they're like, Chris's story is like okay, but Jill's has like way more stuff going on, right? And there's like intrigue and stuff, um, or just like you know, you don't have to go and get the broken shotgun. Not even that it's easy mode. Just like that's a trick you can do. Mm. That sort of thing. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's. Let's start with the design then. I think that's a, an important part of what you were saying there because you're right, you know, um, in terms of visual design, I think there's definitely, I've got no complaints about Chris's visual design in the game. I would struggle to call it iconic in terms of wider gaming history. Like for Resident Evil, sure, people are going to have big time nostalgia about something like that. But in the wider sphere of gaming... I would have no problem, you know, saying Jill's original look with the blue and the beret and, as you say, the completely impractical shoulder pads. Steve, you're always fond of saying this, uh, you know, silhouetting a character and you can still see who they are. 100% true of Jill, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Like, distinct character design versus doing the vest with a small knife holster. It's uh, it's clear as day which characters are more memorable. I mean, Rebecca's even more, uh, quite more distinct. She's got the headband and the, uh, right. the bright white against the green. So the boys have kind of got boring outfits, and the girls have all got the fancy ones, which, <laughs> which is fine by me. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's a ge- generally a distinct, even for the like '90s games. Like, I don't think any other character in, in a PS1 game quite 
had uh, the whole shoulder pads beret military look that no, she's got going on. I can't imagine so. I don't think... Uh, I don't know. In the 90s were weird for like character design. They really were. But I don't... Were berets a thing or... <laughs> I don't remember them being a popular uh, thing. There is the way that... Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this was the case. Uh, Guile in the Street Fighter movie wears a beret that looks very similar to Jill's. It's, sure. it's like a blue beret with a logo on it. So I wouldn't at all be surprised if Capcom looked at that since it's a Capcom movie and went, that's cool looking. I like that and popped it on Jill. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. I'll give you that much. And it kind of sets a precedent. You know, we made jokes about this in a YouTube video we did quite a while back now talking about hats in Resident Evil. But uh, berets are very much a recurring thing in Resident Evil. And uh, it's it starts with this. So it's it's had its impact on the series, certainly. Um October, you sort of touched on the beginnings there. Something that I really wanted to delve into is that Jill's storyline is also way more interesting than Chris's, as you said. Like, there's a there's a lot more to it. Like, Chris is really just about kind of getting out. Like, there's a little bit of unearthing the umbrella stuff. from beginning to end without yeah. much standing in your way other than, like, the creatures and the puzzles. There's no story conflict, really, other than... Uh, your interactions with Rebecca, which are all pretty straightforward. Mm. Yeah, whereas, you know, Jill's character interactions and the story that she goes through are, you know, infinitely more complex, if you like. Like, just comparing Chris and Rebecca scenes, which are fine, but, you know, the relationship that Jill has with Barry, for example, is, yeah, intensely more engaging, I think. Yeah, and, and you have all the intrigue of, like, what's going on with Barry and, and he's starting to act shifty, which, you know, people always make fun of the voice acting in this game, but Barry's voice actor actually does a pretty good job um, for 1996. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the whole thing with like him being a traitor and then it turning out that he was being manipulated by Wesker. It's like, there's, there's so much intrigue and, and like twists going on there that are just not present at all in Chris's story. You know, because you can have that like misdirect of like, there's clearly a traitor in stars. You you find documentation. Uh, I think the very first sign of it is in the um, taxidermy room. You find a file from White Umbrella, basically instructing like lead the stars into the mansion, uh, collect combat data, dispose of the tire, and it's like oh, shit, someone's betrayed us. Yeah. And then all signs point to Barry, and all your choices are all built around whether or not you should trust Barry. You keep being offered chances to just tell him Barry to, to, to go away, and you're offered multiple instances of that. And then at the end, it turns out you were right to trust Barry. And uh, and mm-hmm. if you didn't, you get like the saddest thing in the entire game, which is finding his bloody body, and he gives you a picture of his family. And it's like, I was 10 days from retirement, practically. <laughs> it's like, you know, so that, that makes you feel bad. You want, mm-hmm. you, you, you have to trust him because. He's not the real villain here. Right, absolutely. Like, you touched on something that I hadn't even necessarily considered is the fact that I think one thing that's so underrated about the original Resident Evil even now is all those little choices that you can make that impact the story and all you know the, the many endings. Um, thinking off the top of my head, you know, the number of choices that you can make playing through the Chris campaign, very minimal. You know, obviously you can not save Rebecca, and that's a, a huge... 
uh, departure. But Jill's got lots of little pieces like that with the you know Barry and the rope um, and in the cave system and stuff. Steve, how do you feel about uh, Jill's story in Resident Evil One compared to Chris? Uh, honestly, it's the stronger of the two by a country mile, and that's no offense to like Chris because he gets the best jokes. Like you know, for example, we got to the root of the problem, <laughs> right? But uh, Jill herself is just an aloof, confused person throughout the entirety of it. The story is mostly Barry's. You're just playing Jill's perspective, seeing it, hmm. if that makes any sense. And that's not a dig. That's just the way. It, that's just the way it plays out. You know, I do like the fact that, you know, everyone talks about getting the shotgun early. Did you know you can screw yourself out of doing that if you take Barry up to check out Forest Corpse first? You know, but you also get the bonus of seeing that uh, scene where Wesker is talking to Barry behind a door if you do that. Well, there you go. So there are, depending on how you approach the game, you can actually change little things that don't necessarily affect the ending. You know, which is a little bit more complex than will you have Rebecca follow you? Or not, and even then, Rebecca doesn't follow you. She just offers free heels, which is okay. So yeah, there's a lot more. To, there's a lot more meat to it when you play as Jill. You know, especially in that sewer section where you can basically dictate whether Barry lives or dies right there. Get him to go in front of you, leave him behind, uh, and I believe that also affects how the conversation with Enrico goes. So yeah. you know, yeah, it's. Pretty good, you know. It, it, it seems weird though that you can get Barry actually killed before the game's anywhere near its climax. <laughs> I mean, it was. It's such a. I almost kind of hate to say the phrase, but it's you know, kind of like the Wild West of gaming. They were feels like they were just trying a lot of things with Resident Evil. Uh, oh, for game. sure, they were. They were throwing things at the wall to see what stuck, which is something I think you see immediately with director's cut is director's cut has story changes for Chris that immediately make his campaign feel more like something mm -hmm. yeah. like adding in the new scene with meeting Rebecca and Richard. It's like, which they kept for the remake. It's like, it, that's a better version of that encounter. And it immediately makes the director's cut version of Chris way more engaging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned Richard specifically because thinking about Jill's interactions with other characters, um, sort of on a rewatch of a lot of the cutscenes from this game, sort of really to sort of dial in on it, I think that those scenes with Richard are actually probably I wouldn't know go so far as to say they're my favourites, but I definitely found them striking this time in that we see the beginnings of stuff that we'd see in kind of RE three and beyond in terms of Jill's actual character. Because um, Steve, you said sort of she's you know a bit aloof and confused in this game, and that's totally I completely agree. But with these scenes, you actually get to see her you know doing her best to protect and serve other people, which is nice. And obviously, when we'll, we'll get to RE three, um, that was something that stood out to me from this game, though. Um, in terms of a campaign for my, for myself, and again, this might be another controversial take, but I think out of the five main cast members of RE one, Chris, Jill, Rebecca, Barry, and Wesker. She might be the most dull. Um, I think that's because she's got less dialogue than, say, uh, you quite rightfully said it, it's kind of Barry's campaign, really. You're just kind of an eye on it. Uh, I'm pretty sure he gets more dialogue than Jill. Um, and he's definitely chewing up that scenery, and we are not gonna, we're not complaining about it. So by comparison, Jill is going to kind of make maybe a little bit boring. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that's controversial. I think that's just... Well, that's good. She's kind of boring, and, and if I can go as far as to say, I think she's the worst actress Ooh. in the game. Like I think everyone else does a pretty okay job. I think Jill genuinely sounds spacey and 
just very disjointed compared right. to everyone. She sounds. There's always there's always the meme about green herbs being, in fact, you know, weed <laughs> or something. Perhaps yeah. in this particular case, Jill is just high as a kite. She, does, she gets uh, access to more than Chris, so. <laughs> I yeah. Uh... Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I could see that. She certainly doesn't sound like... I mean, I don't think any of them sound particularly like a hardened special ops team squadron. Um, but to me, she always sounded very meek. Um, and she's, You saved me! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, most of her dialogue is just, Hey, what's going on? I don't understand at all. And she has like a weird accent. I can't quite place it, but it's like... It makes her sound really different from everyone else. Mm. Yeah... I think I, there's no problem with sort of her writing as reacting to the situation in, in the way she does because I think she's the close, even though we've all in agreement perhaps, um, but I think she's the closest to an actual human being <laughs> in the cast. So that's a, that's a plus side. But uh, I, it's it's a shame that you don't get to see her take charge in any fashion. She's very much just reactionary in this. You know, it's... Uh... This is mostly a joke, but uh, Jill and Ari One is the welcome to Raccoon City Leon. She's constantly <laughs> tripping over things. She constantly <laughs> needs saving, and she never knows what's going on. The difference and she is... comes up with a rocket launcher at the end. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The difference is I really like Welcome to Raccoon City Leon. <laughs> so do I. So do I. I. I actually really like that movie, and I like his performance. Cool. Um, Steve, I'm going to throw it back to you before we close up and move on to remake. Any any more thoughts on sort of performance and uh, out on Jill Valentine? Uh, I think nothing more that's already been said. I just, I, I, as October quite rightly put, I uh, can't really place the accent or anything like that, and I kind of like it in the uh, the weird, elseworldly nature of it. Mm. You know, the whole, thank you, I'll take this then, and <laughs> just stuff like that, just it sticks with you. You know, one full playthrough, and Jill will be both bland but quotable, which is, you know, that, that's worth some points, right? <laughs> Sure, let's go with that. Um, <laughs> Oct, any more final thoughts on uh, Resident Evil 1996's Jill? Uh, I love RE96. I've actually been playing it a ton over the last couple of months because of my comic. Mm. But because um, in theory, that's what... Not in theory, that's what Romero would have played. Nothing else existed. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Jill's the best campaign, but Jill herself is one of the weaker elements of the game. Mm. I, you know, I still love Jill. It is the weakest version of her in any of the games, though. But also, it's the very first one, so checks out. Right, yeah, that's fair. Okay, well, let's jump ahead um, quite a few years. Talk about the same story, but let's talk about the remake, 2002 Resident Evil, where she's portrayed by Heidi Anderson Swan. Um, I think that for a lot of people it's going to be a very easy pick for her as the Jill Valentine if you were to to pick one i think she is yeah there's a there's a kind of legendaryness to her performance in this i really i really like Heidi as Jill she's got a great warmth to her and in her you know not necessarily complimentary of her but obviously the script she's given is a lot more capable She's got a lot more to sink her teeth into, so it's nice to see um, that that it's it, it's a similar Jill to we had in '96. We haven't got quite to the sort of hardened off Jill from RE3, um, but there's much more in this. Um, Steve, would you? I don't obviously you don't need to necessarily put you right on the spot, but 
Heidi is Jill. You know, is that is that a high ranking one? Would you say? Yeah, yeah, she's a high ranking Jill. Uh, you know, for me personally, she's not the best, but I can totally appreciate why she would be for others. Uh, she's got a, a bit more of a developedness to her than her original counterpart. Obviously, not just the vocal performance, the touch-ups to the script and the way that plays out play a massive role. Mm. Uh, October, how's your, what's your thoughts on uh, Heidi Anderson's one? Uh, yeah, I'd say that she's probably, if not my favorite Jill, definitely like tied um, mm. with uh, Catherine Disher. Yes. Yeah, they they're both great, um, and you know I don't I, they're all great, and I love Nicole Tom, Tompkins too. I, I don't I don't want to pick favorites necessarily, but this version of Jill I just love. Um, I, I think both the performance and the writing and remake are really solid. I like her characterization way way better than the original RE one, um, and yeah, overall they did a great job of making Jill feel like a much more capable. Yes. And a badass character in remake than she was in the original. Mm. There is <laughs> my my notes have got rather haphazardly kind of refer to Resident Evil ninety six is kind of feeling like a bit of a lost little girl. <laughs> Whereas yeah. you know remake, you know she feel capable is a great word for it. You know she feels like a woman in control. Lot by at least by comparison, you know the situation's dire, but I feel like you know. And if I was there with her, I would trust her with my life, you know. <laughs> um, she gets to do a lot more cool stuff in this. Um, uh, and she was like, I think, underrated for, like, quotable lines as well, personally. Um, even if they are kind of crap as well. I, I, I can't deny you viral cultured freak as an insult uh, gets me every time. It's a heck of a one-liner. I need a, a short clip of her just going "ciao," <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The sass is the sass and the sarcasm is great. I think Heidi pointed out herself. I think she was doing a stream with, I think it was Crimson Head, and she was laughing. And there's just there's a small moment she gets with Barry, Barry, where she goes, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's just little stuff like that that I love. Um, She's yeah. also the first RE character to swear. In the yes. Main line for, not, not to be ch- childish and petty, but we love a good swear. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. we're English, so... <laughs> she, she drops the S-bomb. That's right. I'm, I'm glad to, to, to like... I'm going to take this as absolute fact that that's the first time, because I've always kind of wondered if that was... Every time it comes up, it kind of takes you, you know, out of it in the, like, whoa kind of way. Uh, so I had to assume it was the first, you know, beyond, like, a hell and a damn... I, I'm pretty because the only games that would have preceded this are uh, one, two, three, Survivor and Code Veronica. Right. Um, yeah, the, the swearing in uh, Resident Evil Survivor is the player themselves trying to get used to the actual <laughs> controls and the soundtrack. <laughs> um, I mean, did that touch a few nerves? I disagree. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you mean. Hmm. <laughs> I really, you know, touching on Jill again, though, like the the standoff with Barry, the additional standoff, I think is a fantastic character moment. That you, the, it, it makes weight to her as a professional person who's going to mm. deal with the stress of the situation and having to basically let the player decide, do you trust this man or are you going to let him die? It's a, that don't lie to me, it rings yeah. through. You know, yeah. it's just a fantastic scene. Yeah, so it's a great moment. It's a shame that it doesn't mm. really lead to 
<laughs> I've seen. It's very weird. It's it's like they couldn't write their way out of that situation, so they just didn't. Yeah, it's a weird one. I didn't even notice it until, as I say, watching a bunch of cutscenes back. I was like, it's really weird that she confronts Barry and then doesn't confront him. But I guess he's kind of like he does sort of shoo her on to the lab, so he doesn't have to talk about it. But it's, it does seem a little bit weird. But that aside. Um, they're just sort of like to go back to what I was saying at the beginning is there's something really cool about this Jill that I really I can't precisely put my finger on what it is um, but it, she just yeah it just feels right it feels like Jill to me um, October any more thoughts on remake Jill? Um, one of my favorite things about her too and, and about remake in general is that it was one of the first games well re, RE3 does as well but uh, RE1 and 2 the characters everything kind of bounces off of them um, and you know, there are moments of kind of emotional strife, I, I especially in RE2, I don't want to downplay that, but one of my favorite things in Remake is how haggard and kind of shot a lot of the characters can come off in their private moments. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the whole game is that Rebecca breaks down in tears, it's it's really mm. not like Resident Evil up to that point. Um, but with Jill, I find it fascinating that she is kind of sassy and super capable when she's around other characters. But she's also a, a character that has moments of weakness in between. Like, she's the one that pukes, crushing mm -hmm. the zombie's skull, as opposed to Chris, who doesn't do it at all. He just backs away. Um, so it's like that, that conflict, like, Chris, just he just steps away from the zombie that comes out of the tub, but Jill takes the affirmative action and crushes its head under a boot, but also pukes over it. And it's I find that just a super interesting character trait of, like, that she's able to stay strong when she needs to, but she is still human and she is still vulnerable when she kind of doesn't have to be be in charge around other characters. Mm. And I feel like that kind of bleeds over into like remake three where she's super badass and capable, but also her apartment is filled with empty pill bottles. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. Um, that duality between being professional around others and then in your private moments, losing your mind is uh, an under understated thing that I think is actually really fantastic about remake. Jill. Yes, I agree. Like, and we'll talk about remake three, but I really appreciate that they did some stuff like that because we, we haven't really seen that in the series. You say, you know, we haven't seen it before Remake, and that's totally right, but I would almost argue we haven't really seen anything like it since Remake. Because, you know, the trajectory of the series with the more action focus that came in the 2000s and games that would have, you know, like your outbreak where there's a lot of characters running around, so you don't get those private moments. I, um, I would definitely say that Remake 1 is the most grounded Resident Evil yeah, ever been. Yeah. It's like even with the modern games, where they're kind of dancing around groundedness like they all the tragedy with um kendo and remake 2 like that was really solid in mm. my opinion but also resident evil's kind of embraced the like oh this series is dopey and goofy and stuff which i, I kind of disagree with it's being before it was unintentionally funny and now it feels like it's being deliberately funny right and i think that's a shame because i do think that the series as remake shows has a lot of space for more grounded human moments that kind of get turned into jokes now. Mm. No, I agree. It's a really good point. Um, Steve, any final thoughts on Remake, Jill? Uh, I, honestly, uh, I'm, I'm kind of... like The only real issue I have, besides the 
stuff we've already talked about is there's, there's not really much in the way of dialogue with the characters. Like the 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 amount of stuff she actually says to Enrico and the amount of stuff she says to Chris and Rebecca. I don't think she has a speaking line with Rebecca in Remake One, does she? It's like not until Umbrella uh, Chronicles. The only time Rebecca and Jill have ever spoken to each other is the Umbrella Chronicles. So yeah, hashtag Chamber Time Canon. <laughs> so it's just shame. There's maybe a little bit of underutilization there. Because, I mean, you get a potential for two scenes in either run with Chris and Jill really conversing one another. And obviously they become a major pairing from here on out. But that's that's a, a complaint I can have for the original as well. So underutilization, maybe, it would be my main concern. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I, I would be on board with... I mean, this is coming from Captain Foresight, though. We, we know that they right. become a bigger deal together. And this is more looking back. So I guess maybe I'm being unfair. No, no, I I think you know. Yeah, you're right in in te- in terms of sort of like 2020 vision. But uh, I would agree with you. If, you know, if we ever get that remake, remake, and knock on wood, it doesn't happen. Um, I would agree that would be one thing that would be nice to see to see those characters interacting more. Um, mm. You know, Chris, Chris and Jill, and to get some Jill and Rebecca, you know, would be nice as well. All right, let's move on to the next game. Um, just a few months ahead, upon their return to Raccoon City, Jill compiled a detailed incident report for Chief Irons and worked with Chris and Barry to warn the authorities about Umbrella's biological weapons. But their claims were scoffed at, and their request for official investigations into the corporate giant denied. It took two full weeks for Jill's wounds to heal, and throughout that time she suffered flashbacks and painful memories of her teammates dying. Wanting to investigate Umbrella further, Chris and Jill confided with Barry and decided to fly to Europe to investigate Umbrella's main headquarters. Barry decided to first ensure his family's safety and took them to Canada, and this prompted Jill to decide to remain in Raccoon City a little while longer and investigate Umbrella's laboratories before joining up with Chris at a later date. So, in September 1998, Jill Valentine attempts to make her last escape from Raccoon City. In Biohazard 3 Last Escape, a.k.a. Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, uh, the 1999 version first, where she's portrayed by Catherine Disher. Um, I started off with... Yeah, let's talk about betrayal first, I think. Um, with with Remake saying about how Heidi Anderson Swan, I'm sure, is very easily could be like, oh, it's the Jill Valentine for everyone. But for me, it will always be Catherine Disher. I wonder if that is because... She gets the benefit of being like having a whole game to herself, and admittedly, whereas we all know the sort of history of Resident Evil Three starting off as sort of like a side game, that got to be a numbered title. Um, so it wasn't necessarily intended that way. But this is the first game with only one playable character, aside from you know playing as Carlos as a guest briefly. So this is the Jill story in that way. But I do feel like the actual story of the game is the Jill story for me, and even just small things like. She's got that opening monologue, which so well sets up who, what her character is at this point, and in general for me, what Jill Valentine encapsulates. Um, if you were making a top Jill Valentine moments, that monologue one is without a doubt on there. Um, it, it sets up the game and her character so brilliantly. Um, October, I'm going to throw to you. How do you feel about Catherine Disher as Jill Valentine? Oh, she is fantastic. I, I mean, she she's such a great performer, and she embodies that character so well in both remake or in both the original RE three and Marvel versus Capcom. She's mm. she combines this like she's fun and 
you know, a little sassy, but also really hard and angry um, and very in control. Like she's the Ian Malcolm of the lost world in this game. She's the one that knows all these things. She doesn't have time for everyone else and her bullshit. Right. While also still trying to help people, even though they won't listen to her. Yes. Yes, you exactly know, like, that. Like, you know, like Mario, like pleading with yes. him to, to come with her. And he's, you know, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> Never. It, it's, yeah, she's great. She's a fantastic Jill. And I absolutely understand why she's a lot of people's favorite. Yeah. If she had got Dario out there, he would have absolutely slowed her down. But the fact that she at least gave it a shot. Um, even if after you don't that, try to save one life, you'll never save any. Exactly. Like even after the opening monologue, to go right into that, I think it's just fantastic for setting her up as a as a protagonist and as the playable character. It makes you want to get Jill out of there safely and put you in that mindset of you know doing what we can to save who we can. And she's got so many great um, interactions with characters that sort of feed back into that as well. Steve, how do you feel about Catherine Disher as Jill Valentine in Resident Evil 3 and the beloved Marvel vs. Capcom? <laughs> I have a lot, a lot of ingrained biases in this one. In that, you know, because I was a follower and watcher of 90s seminal cartoon, The X-Men. Yes. It's, it's yeah. hard to disassociate Jean Grey <laughs> from Jill. Uh, so that, I, that I feel... cartoon was like a Resident Evil reunion party. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and as a result, this this always feels like this is Jill her most quote unquote out and out heroic. Like everything she does, just feels that little bit more Saturday cartoon to me, which is not a bad thing. I love me a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, so yeah, she's just like you know everything that she does is like what a hero must do kind of thing, with the exception of like the post train car derailment, where depending on who goes where. It can either be Carlos trying to pick Jill up, or it can be Jill mm-hmm. trying to pick Carlos's spirits up, which normally involves someone getting yelled at or someone getting slapped upside the head. And I just think that that moment where all the stuff's going on and Jill still has to turn around and basically get this dude's head sorted out while being chased by a 10-foot stack of leather with a rocket launcher, it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, um, overall, voice performance is fantastic, at least for that era. I would say easily the best actor of the PS1 games, and I'm an RE2 stan. You know, mm. so yeah, I, I, it, it's weird though. Like as a result of that era, she does feel cartoony, which obviously is the point, I guess. We got a cartoon voice actress, uh, but the way the script goes as well. That's an interesting way to put it, and I don't disagree. Certainly, I can absolutely see where you're saying from. She does become a bit of a uh, an action star in this, you know, right down to how the game ends, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, in comparison to remake, where you have this slow build up where she's in an apartment and then things kick off, RE3 skips that nonsense. She explodes out of an apartment building. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and you that... know, the entire time going through with tinnitus and God knows how many other things from trauma of explosions that she's she's perfectly fine, by the way. Health is at full. So, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I think. Uh... It's more than just setting up the Jill Valentine character that sets up Resident Evil 3 so well. She's coming out of an exploding building. It's like, it really gets you into what this game is about. You mentioned, obviously, like a great character moment there with Carlos. And I think outside of, you know, Revelations 2, how it has a scene that, depending on player's action, kind of changes later. I wouldn't say character interaction, but more like personality development with with someone like Moira 
we get that in RE3 as well. It's, it's a very rare occasion. Obviously, RE1 has a bunch of potential choices that we just talked about, but really, they don't really alter any character personality so much. Um, but for you know the Carlos section, with depending on what you do with the um, the train car, uh, the monorail, whatever you want to call it. What's, what's the one I'm looking for? A tram? Subway? I don't even know. Something yeah, like it's, that. Um, it's a tram. Cable <laughs> car. I guess, it, yeah. Car, yeah. Um, depending on what you do with that, obviously, as you just said, you know, Carlos either has to pick you up or you get to slap him around the head, which is obviously the better one. Um, we, But all of her character actions are incredible. You know, her starting off with Carlos and instantly being angry when he mentions the word umbrella is fantastic. Um the way that she questions Nikolai about the fact that he's just shot Murphy dead, uh, even though in a few more minutes he would be a zombie. All of her character interest and Dario as well as we just said, and the stuff with Mikhail that you can miss is brilliant. All of her character act- uh, interactions in this game are absolutely completely on point. And something that I didn't say about RE One that I meant to was that, and this is more about just kind of like video game storytelling at the time and Capcom's well we all know how difficult that game was probably to write you know it's written by Japanese speakers trying to write an English script I'm sure it was you know what we got it's a miracle we got anything uh, legible at all anything understandable but all the dialogue in Resident Evil 1 is basically just to suit the furtherment of the plot there isn't really anything there for actual character development whereas all the stuff I've just said there is to grow Jill as a character as far as I'm concerned. Her interactions with Carlos from the beginning and to the end um, and all those little pieces yeah. that are sprinkled in, just wonderful. It makes RE3 so special. Yeah, I would definitely say that that's, a, that's one of the pivotal differences between RE1 Jill and RE3 Jill is RE1 is about the mansion. RE3 is about Jill. Yes, yeah. Um, and I also, it just came to mind, another great piece of storytelling with Jill and her being a hero is, and this is something that's up to the player, but going back to find Dario after getting the cable car yeah, is Jill goes back to check on him. I mean, that's kind of awesome. She's too late, but the fact that both you and her think to do that, it's like, that's kind of cool as, as opposed to other retellings <laughs> uh, of this story. Uh, it's, it's a really great moment. And that's the sort of thing that I really love about RE3. Yeah. There's so many variations on little scenes, like depending on how you approach Nemesis the first time, whether you blow him up with this and the like was restaurant or stuff mm. like that. Escaping that can affect vocal delivery, plot performance. I think depending on how you enter the Dead Factory dictates basically how your relationship, whether you're a Jill and Carlos shipper or not, <laughs> yeah. you know, and um, whether Nikolai survives or not, which is kind of cool. You know, mm. there's a lot of a lot of wiggle room that they account for, and I can't say any of those scenes are badly done. For that era as well, I'd say perhaps even better in terms of actual performance, some stuff in MGS, which is generally the tentpole PS1 voice-acted action title. Yes. No, I completely agree. I really only had positive things to say about this, to be honest. I, I very easily become a babbling mess about Jill and RE3. Um we just to just but to put a, like a really fine point on it. We talk a lot about Resident Evil Two being such a step up in terms of the writing and the strength of characterization. For me, this is Jill getting that RE Two treatment that she deserves. She gets to become a character by this point more than just the playable character. Um, and she and going back to your cartoony, what you're saying about her potentially feeling like a cartoon character, she gets a 
ton of great lines in this. Like, so much quotable stuff in in a different way to RE1's goofy quotable stuff. Although there's definitely some goofiness to it. Um, I'm going to put you guys on the spot in terms of picking a standout line for me. I'm going to go a real deep cut that made me laugh when I was looking back over cutscenes for this one. Is uh, when Nikolai gets pulled through the ceiling. Um... Or, or well, pr- just prior to that, when you get when Nikolai gets killed, if you opt not for the helicopter battle, um, he, he's talking about how the monitors and the supervisors basically get a bonus if they take out your Valentine, and she she just sort of yells back to him from behind cover, "I have no intention of contributing to your retirement fund." It's unnecessarily wordy for a one-liner, but I just really appreciate <laughs> it. October, what's your standout RE three line? Uh, I mean, the easy one to go with is like, you want stars, I'll give you stars. Right. Like, you know, um, I, I'd say one of my favorites, especially as a Ace Attorney fan, is uh, once the wheels of justice begin to turn, nothing can stop them. Yes. Nothing. Yeah. It's a really great line. And it's a fantastic delivery. Steve? See, in the 49 episodes, minus bonuses, of course, uh, that we've done for First Aid Spray, I think we've established I can be a bit of a simple man. So I uh, will turn around <laughs> and say that. Uh, as a lover of fighting games, the fact that there is a line in this that I'm pretty sure is either... If it's not ported wholesale, it sounds like it is, and that's just, I'm a member of Stars when she's yelling at the Mercs. <laughs> that just, yeah, the vocal delivery, the somewhat parental condescending tone, it works, you know? It's like talking down to some children who have assault rifles. <laughs> she's got that grit, that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah and then hearing it again in Marvel vs. Capcom, that... Where you, um, I don't know if either of you are familiar with that series, but um, uh, I think that and and come on are Jill's yeah. lines in that game, and uh, it's so great because I'm pretty sure it is just that audio clip yeah. from RE3, but um, it it comes off with this kind of like you want some bra kind kind of vibe yeah. in MVC. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess really. Unless you guys have got any other other points about sort of like characterization and story, the only thing we haven't talked about is the design, like the actual look of Jill in this game. Arguably just as iconic as the beret, perhaps. It is simpler, I I guess. It's not quite as unique, maybe. I'd be interested to get some opinions on this. Um, Steve, keeping it light, because, you know, we know that there's something in the myths where you go into detail with these kind of things coming out at some point, but... (laughs) How, what's your feeling on the RE3 classic outfit? Uh, it's okay. I appreciate that we're keeping the colour theme and we've established that Jill's colour is blue. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Jill with her hair down. Looks different and more distinct from her count, uh, counterpart ladies in the Resident Evil universe. Sure. Therefore, yep. being able to silhouette her more distinctly. Pretty sure no other horror game protagonist has ever pulled off the outfit and lived. <laughs> so, fair play there. Yeah. Uh, Ox, what's your thoughts on the look for RE3? Uh, I agree, it's cool. One of my favorite things about Resident Evil character design is that they're all color-coded. Um, so it's cool uh, seeing her stick with blue. It's a ridiculous outfit, um, <laughs> especially for the situation. I mean, she runs eight steps, and that top is not staying up. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is an iconic look. I, I would argue that it... <sighs> It might be more iconic than Jill's RE1 look just because it is very sexual. Mm. Um, that, that you see it on like statues and, and fan art and stuff like that. Um, it's a goofy costume. I do like the breakup with 
she has this like blazer tied around her waist mm. um, that uh, I, I like that breakup of blue, white, black, brown uh, from top to, to boots. Um, it's it's okay though. I think it's a little goofy and it looks even goofier with the remake one version of the costume uh, <laughs> where just, her bust just makes it look ridiculous. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so let's, again, sort of flip the coin on this one and go to the remake version. Um, the most recent Jill appearance, even if it is a remake, the 2022, sorry, the 2020 version of Resident Evil 3, where she was portrayed by Nicole Tompkins. Um, obviously, at this point, not sort of law-wise or anything, but in terms of appearance, we hadn't seen Jill in a game for eight years. So I think it, there was maybe some pressure to get this right in general because Jill is a beloved character who's been missing so long, but also, of course, you're remaking a classic game. So, you know, a lot of pressure. For me, in terms of the performance and the design, I really don't have a bad word to say about it. Like, they did, from top to bottom, on in terms of those things, they, 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 they did Jill right, I think, as far as I'm concerned. Um... Steve, what do you think about Nicole as Jill? Uh, fantastic. A different take, to be sure. A more stressed and angry Jill than we've ever had before. Mm. Feels at times for me, this is going to sound very strange to say, but somewhere in the lens of, if Sarah Connor by way of John McClane, she feels like <laughs> an 80s action hero version of Jill. Mm. Uh, which is appropriate, because I think I've said before that Remake 3 is the best Terminator movie we've had in years. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I I have no complaints. Like, yeah, a lot of people are like, Jill doesn't swear. Well, this Jill does. Yeah. Um, we've already established that Jill she swears. Does. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Shut it, internet. Take that. <laughs> you know. Um, but no, generally I like her. You know, the, the the way she's compassionate with Brad, the way that she's still stand off standoffish with Carlos. There's even like the flirty lines of that. Okay, that everyone's yeah. so excited about. Um, Personal standout moments for me probably are the the shutter gate scene where she decides to you know oh wait they're gonna kill everyone in the train it's gonna kill everyone in the car if I go this way and she baits Nemesis away mm. you know little moments like that I think are fantastic kind of think they what's the word where they false pretenses a bit with the PTSD stuff feels like it's underutilized you right. get a little bit in the beginning and one potential night terror with a rather cartoony Carlos zombification which is a shame. Yeah. But overall, I would love to see Nicole's Jill again in oh, some way, shape, or form. Yes, I would agree. Um, I really like that they put that sort of PTSD kind of stuff in there. I actually forget that that sort of second scene even happens. <laughs> um, but it's a shame that there isn't more... I don't need necessarily more weird scenes of her picturing stuff as zombies, but kind of, as October said, you know, more moments of private weakness, you know, considering what she's going through in the story of this game, and it's only taking place months after what she's already been through, it would have been nice to see that kind of stuff, you know, because good characters overcome personal adversity, right? not just monsters wearing, you know, lots of bin bags wrapped around themselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm glad that it's there. I'm glad that they tried to do something with it. It'd be very easy just to be like, nah, can't be bothered. We're just gonna, we're just gonna have an action hero. So it's good that they actually put some of those scenes in. Um, 
you're right about the John McClane thing because Jill gets the absolute snot beaten out of her in this game. So I, I agree with you there. Um, October, how do you the, feel about? I'm uh, oh, sorry, go on. I'm going to say that the uh, the exchange with the Drain Demos, uh, you know, going through that sequence where initially it's puking up and going Jesus Christ or stuff, and then by then it's enjoy that the vindictiveness turns on the power generator. <laughs> yes, totally. Right, that is eighties movie all over. Yeah, uh, October, what are your thoughts on uh, Resi Three Remake, Jill? Uh, I Jill is great. Uh, I, I think Nicole Tompkins knocked it out of the park. I love uh, both Jill and Carlos. I, I I was never a huge fan of Carlos. I always found him a little dry. Um, but I think this Carlos, and I think the way that Jill and Carlos grow together, that Carlos starts as this very, like, kind of macho, like, kind of in trying to impress her kind of vibe, and Jill is having none of it. And he works for Umbrella, which, like, immediately makes her bristle like an angry cat but over the course of the story they they learn to both trust and respect each other until we get to the end uh where we have that final boss fight with nemesis and she's you know i got this i know you do like yeah oh that's that's such a great moment and it's i'd argue it's some of the best characterization and writing in a resident evil game mm-hmm. even though it's like fun action hero kind of stuff which isn't necessarily what i'm here for but it's 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 great it's really well done and if Remake 3 had been a movie, it would have been freaking fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's not, unfortunately, but I think that Jill herself in the game is great. Yeah. You guys have already touched upon lots of important things for me to, that make Jill the character she is. It's all stuff from that original RE3 that they've hit all the right notes with. You know, as you said, anger, umbrella, the, com- the actual confidence and the sass taking charge of situations, putting herself in the front line, providing emotional support for other characters, um, and importantly, you know, the desire to save as many people as she can. Like, one of my favourite moments is just this little bit where she meets Mikhail for the first time and he says that his team can't save all the civilians alone, and she pulls his face because she doesn't want to help people that are employed by Umbrella, but she knows instantly that she's she has to take part in this because, it, you know, it means saving all these innocent lives and stuff. Um, so yeah, they, the the writing's great, the performance is great. I, I agree. I'd love to see Nicole come back in some form, whether that's a new addition into the sort of law, be that it takes place after village or some kind of interqual or something. Um, you know, the the face model that they got for this game is obviously great as well because after so many years uh, with Julia Voth and then. They, it felt like they didn't know where to go. And we're going to talk about Revelations, obviously, but I think after that, it was... I would personally read it as Capcom being very unsure about what to do with Jill. Um, and that's why she's been missing for so long. But now that they've done it, now that she's been returned to us and everyone has just globbed onto Nicole's performance with such glee, um, I'm hopeful that she will get to play Jill again. We can only hope anyway. Um, Steve, any more thoughts on Remake 3, Jill? Uh, I have a controversial one. While I do like her outfit, I this is probably spoilers for something that I'm probably not to talk about, so you may have to edit this out. Uh, I like her outfit. I like the colour scheme. It feels like it could be in any other horror property game. <laughs> or any other modern yeah. female-led game. I mean, I, I like her Remake outfit. I, I think it's a good update for the character. 
Um, I would really like it if gaming in general would stop characterizing strong women as women in tank tops. It's very boring, dry, mm -hmm. and this is coming from a guy who loves like, tank top ladies. Uh, I love ladies in tank tops, but variety is the spice of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, October, any more final thoughts on remake three, specifically Jill? Uh, yeah, Jill's great. I think she has great dialogue. I think Nicole nails it. Out, absolutely nails it. Um, the 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 biggest issue with Jill in this whole game is that we do get her. Uh, if um, you want stars, I'll give you stars. Line cut off by Nemesis punching her in the back of the head. Uh, I don't know who made the decision to bury that line mm. in a very easily missable spot as opposed to making it her final line against Nemesis. That was a terrible idea, and it's goofy as heck. But the rest of it is great. I do like the take the hint line, though. Admittedly, that it's should great. probably it, be it earlier. Is, it is good, but I think it should have been earlier. Yeah, switch him around. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, that least... RE3 mod. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Screw your clock tower. I just need some dialogue switched around. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, she don't. Aside from those, I, I would agree. Um, but she does have some fantastic lines in this game as well. As chat has pointed out, I know how a radio works. And. Both that line and the delivery is yes. just so fantastic. And the facial performance. I, she just gets this very, like bemused condescending expression on her face it's just like oh i live for it it's great yes and of course bitch can't even swim so yeah <laughs> such a weird like out of context such a weird line but i'm sure everyone I laughed mean, when they heard it so she tells nemesis to suck it while blasting grenade launcher at him that's that's peak like <laughs> hollywood right there <laughs> It gets worse every night here in Raccoon City. When the sun goes down over the surrounding Arclay Mountains, a dark shadow of death is cast upon each and every living resident of this town. The city's many streets, alleyways, neighborhoods, and proud places of business lock every door and window tight, becoming as silent as the grave brief burst of strength and confidence the people displayed during the hot summer months, despite being stricken with unimaginable grief and despair, has now burned out. The violent, bizarre murder cases that plagued Raccoon City in late June through August broke through the once solid foundation the town was built upon. Against the slew of dramatic news stories day in and day out from Raccoon Press and other local stations, which I felt only made things even worse for the affected families, the Raccoon City Police Department fought hard on the other end of things to help control the dire situation sweeping over town. The murder cases were always gut-wrenching to hear, especially when we had to break the news to a victim's family. But... For every seemingly unsolved murder, there were many of those who sadly were never found from the missing persons list. The people from that side of all this either prayed at St. Michael's clock tower for their loved ones to be hopefully found alive, or just silently waited at home for news to break, confirming their worst fears. I wish I could say that things got better for Raccoon City when what remained of the Stars, Alpha, and Bravo teams returned back from our mission into the heart of this madness. But in the end, I feel all it did was make everything worse instead. 
The truth is only good if people are willing to believe it. Otherwise, it's as useless as a revolver with no bullets in the cylinder. The Raccoon City Police Department didn't believe us. Raccoon Press glossed over the facts. Journalists, the so-called purveyors of truth, laughed at us, and those from within Umbrella worked in the shadows to undermine every piece of information we sought to expose about them for their crimes. When all was said and done, the Special Tactics and Rescue Service was disbanded by direct order of Chief Brian Irons, scattering any of our collective efforts to the wind and systematically silencing our voices. Those of us who remained knew that we had lost the battle, but had to win the war. So we had to fight them another way. Chris Redfield left for somewhere in Europe to pursue Umbrella. Barry Burton left to relocate his family somewhere safe, away from Umbrella's watchful eyes. Rebecca Chambers left for a university, taking her vast knowledge of medicine to hopefully one day find a cure against Umbrella's viruses. Which leaves me alone in Raccoon City to fight for what remains as the town spirals downward into hell itself. The city is dying, despite all our best efforts. Every once in a while, the sounds of dogs howling in the night can be heard as their songs of sorrow cry out into the midnight air. But my mind knows that what walks our streets in the dark is not alive anymore. The virus that has infected this town robs you blind of all your senses, and then your humanity. You, your family, your friends, and literally anything with a pulse becomes a distant memory. The virus stripping skin from bone as the cells mutate from within. Life and death become one in the same, as your body rapidly changes into something of pure nightmare. I knew that I was fighting a losing battle, but I wasn't about to give up and die while my world burned in the flames of Umbrella's wicked ways. Even after surviving the unspeakable horrors of the Spencer Mansion incident, my work wasn't done. I thought I could still make a difference here, to help expose Umbrella and bring them down in my own way. I also knew that, whether anyone believed us or not, deep down in my heart as both a person and an officer of the RCPD, I couldn't turn my back on the people of this town. The nightmare is not over yet. But one day, in the not-so-distant future, I pray that all of this is laid to rest. Until then, I will keep on fighting the good fight against Umbrella and those who wish to carry on in their bloody footsteps of destruction. In the following years, Jill and the others affiliated themselves with anti-Umbrella groups and watched with interest as the raccoon trials unfolded in the Supreme Court. Throughout that time, they also searched without success for Albert Wesker, who is now affiliated with the rival company. In 2003, Wesker secretly leaked intelligence that the Russian branch of Umbrella were developing a powerful new BOW, and this led Chris and Jill to investigate a small village in the Caucasus, Caucasus region, where they discovered another T-virus leak. 
The only survivor was a little girl named Anna, and Jill took her under her wing. They discovered Anna's father was an umbrella employee, and a nearby chemical plant was the secret base the company were using to carry out its latest bioweapons research. Armed with this information, they immediately linked up with a regional biohazard containment unit and launched an assault on the base without waiting for final approval from the Russian government. That brings us to... Uh, that. Well, specifically, a lot of that was set up from Prelude to the Fall, which is the... Well, the prelude comic for Resident Evil, The Umbrella Chronicles. Um, we are more than anything going to focus on Umbrella's End, as that is the the canon part of it. We obviously, Jill is fairly prominent throughout uh, Umbrella Chronicles, being that it's a retelling of Resident Evil uh, Remake and Resident Evil 3 as well. So I, she's, I think she might be the most appearing character in Umbrella Chronicles. So when we're talking about performance, by all means, we can talk about, you know, the wider game and all the scenarios. But uh, I guess most interestingly, in terms of the canon, is um, Umbrella's End. Being that this is a rail shooter, I don't feel like I have a lot to say because I don't think there's a lot to go off of. Um, there's not a lot of lines. She's got about six lines in Umbrella's End, I think. Um, and... In terms of talking about the RE3 stuff, I mean, you'd probably have to strap me down to a chair and force me to watch those cutscenes again because they are god awful. They're they're really bad and they're really uncomfortable. Yeah, they're not. Uh, especially that opening. Yes, that's the, the first thing that comes to mind. Um, October, take it away. What's your thoughts with um, Umbrella Chronicles, Jill? You know, Umbrella's End and, and Patricia Jarley playing Jill this time. Um, your thoughts on her performance? Um, you know, sometimes, uh, I've done podcasts where I was half asleep, so I get it. Uh, Jill sounds half asleep in this game. Um, yeah, I know fair. that I've heard that that was up to direction, that they were all directed to sound just kind of monotone. And I've heard that about Revelations as well. Really? Um, yeah. Um, it's, I guess to sound more serious, mm. um, but everyone sounds so weird in this game, and the audio editing is unbelievably bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, my friends and I always make fun of it, but um, there's a line in the uh, Raccoon City Destruction segment where her and Carlos's lines got flopped. So she just inexplicably shouts, I think so too, <laughs> to nothing. So, uh, um, but... Yeah, in Umbrella's End, she's she doesn't talk a lot, and she sounds kind of sleepy for a lot of it. Um, Umbrella's End has the least forward momentum of any of the uh, plot-driven sections, because it's not really about Chris and Jill. They are present, mm. but when you play... Um, what's it called? Dark something? Wesker's scenario? Dark Legacy. Dark Legacy. It's like... Oh, this is the separate way scenario of Chris and Jill's story is just happening while the real story is going on. Right. It's like they show up, they shoot 800 million hunters, <laughs> and then they kill a Power Rangers monster, and then they leave without <laughs> being even a little bit aware of any of the real going on with Wesker defeating like the, the last of Umbrella's uh, executive branch and uh, stealing the umbrella data and turning over information to the government to help umbrella fall apart faster. It's like 
they're they're just here because they're supposed to be because it would it, it we should finally get some sort of resolution to the off-camera defeat of Umbrella, and mm. it turns out that they were barely part of it. They were just present. Yeah, I think that's fairly accurate, really. And it's interesting to know that about the voice direction. I hadn't heard that before, and that would explain it, I think, because I think Patricia Jolly is very capable. Um, yeah, she's great. But in this, it yeah, something felt missing, and arguably then that's, that's up to the direction, which... I can almost understand the logic, but not really. You know, when you think you hear it back and you identify that as you're right, everyone sounds half zombified already. Um, or they're just like things like Billy, where he's played by like three different actors. <laughs> right, there, there is that. Yeah, this game's got a lot of issues. Um, Steve, how do you feel about Jill in Umbrella Chronicles and Umbrella's End? Uh, this is painful. Like, um, we'll get into it in a bit about Pat Patricia Jarley's version of Jill, but in this, it's woeful. Like, she's the sidekick character for Chris, it feels like. You know, she's only ever answering his questions, or like yeah. Octo said, randomly going, I think so too. Um, she barely even takes charge in her own scenario in the, uh, the cursed Resident Evil 3 adaption against Cyborg Nemesis. You know, it's... It's awful, it's weak, and the, the, the little action sequences they do get are either movie homages... Or just straight up rubbish. You know, I don't even think she's got a cool counter attack. I think it's just stab him with a taser and kick him. It's kind of boring. <laughs> you know, even yeah. her one unique animation is dull, which is, you know. I love Umbrella Chronicles for its gameplay. It's not shaky cam mess like two. I like the soundtrack especially. I wish that was a vinyl. But the story and the uh, the interpretations therein, they ain't great. They're, you know, and uh, no offense to the actresses or actors or actresses involved. But it's just, it's, if there was a run-of-the-mill baseline of this is a barely acceptable Jill Valentine, I think we're still going underneath it. <laughs> Brutal, but probably fair, actually, really. You know, I want, I want to put it above RE1 Jill, but then I can't. I don't, <laughs> so... think, no, I don't think you can, yeah. But, and again, a lot of that comes down to... It's a rail shooter, so it isn't exactly going to have a verbose script. Yeah. But, yeah, it's make the most of what you've got then, surely, perhaps. Um, before we move on, uh, any thoughts on Jill's, specifically the Umbrella's End design, because it is new, uh, where she's all outfitted for, you know, exploring the snowscapes of Russia? Why no unlockable and remastered? <laughs> yeah. It's true, and it's the same model, too. That is weird. I'd never mm. thought about that. It's fine. Both her and Chris, just, they're fine. It's it's unremarkable, but, you know, they're in the snow, so it works. Right, and they've got the color schemes going on, so at least they got that yeah. right, I guess. So, yeah, that's fair. Okay, <clears throat> so let's skip ahead a little bit. Just jump ahead a year. One year later, after the events in Caucasus, Jill became one of the original 11 founding members of the Biohazard Security Assessment Alliance. In 2005, Jill was given a new partner in Parker Luciani, a former operative of the FBC who had fought in the terror Grigia panic caused by the Veltro terrorist group. After they'd been disbanded immediately after the incident, the BSAA had received intelligence of a possible revival. Jill and Parker were asked by Director O'Brien to meet with him to investigate strange corpses washed up on the beach of a small Mediterranean coastal town. 
Soon they received a call revealing that all contact had been lost with Chris Redfield and Jessica Sharawat, and that their last position had seemingly been in the middle of the ocean. Thus brings us to 2012's Resident Evil Revelations for the 3DS and onwards, released for home consoles a little bit later. Uh, this is, to my knowledge, the only performance uh, by Michelle Ruff in terms of playing Jill Valentine. It is uh, the most... I think this is the weirdest one on here. Um, and I quite like a lot of things about Revelations. We never, we haven't covered it on the show yet, so I don't want to get too deep into that. But this one stands out like a sore thumb to me. Um, partly because we have a unique voice actor for this. And also we have uh, a completely different face model, obviously. This is the first time... The Jill's face, Jill's face isn't Julia Voff. Um and I'm all about aging up characters. That's completely fine, um, but this feels really weird, <laughs> especially when you put put them all together. It just doesn't seem right. Is that just me, uh, October? How do you feel about Jill's look in this game? Uh, I hate it. <laughs> okay, cool. I don't like. I don't really like Revelations at all. I think it's a very janky game with a really bad script. I know people love it. I don't. Uh, I think Jill's design in this game is really bad. Yeah. Um, no shade on her face model. I don't remember her name, but I know that her face is based on a real person, so no shade on her. I don't think it looks right for Jill. No. Um, the console port messed with her face, and it's, like, stretched out or something, and it looks even worse. Um, right. I don't know what's up with it, and, you know, Revelations carries on that era's tradition of being uncomfortably horny like <laughs> umbrella chronicles uh a little bit in five and then really in six and revelations yeah um and it's just i i don't know i think her design is is uncomfortable and i think her characterization is i don't know she's she's almost back to re1 classic where she's like she's kind of checked out and just there and she really, the story isn't really about her. Yeah. It's about everyone else around her. It's like, I don't know. It's a, it's, I agree. She is, it is one of the weirdest things on this list for this character. It, it really doesn't feel like it had to be her. Yeah. I appreciate that it's her. Give me more Jill, but very, very weird Jill. Yeah. I had that completely written down, you know, like just like RE1. Most of our dialogue really just serves to move the story along. Which I can sort of understand because the Revelation storyline is a hot mess and you need a flowchart to understand it. Um, but there's no extra spice in it that you know, makes it feel like Jill. She is just wetsuit protagonist in this game. Uh, it's, she's got basically zero chemistry with anyone as well, which I don't, don't like at all. I, I didn't. Yeah, compare her relationship with Parker to her relationship with Carlos in Remake 3. Exactly, night and, and day. Yeah, I mean, her relationship with Parker is like someone that works eight cubicles down from you at the office. <laughs> like they, they know each other, and they do work for the same company. And one and of them, were... it's like that relationship where one of them knows the other person's name, and the other person's not quite sure they've got it right. Yeah. <laughs> Is everything about this game is weird. Everyone acts weird and not like themselves. And like, and like, even though it has Roger Craig Smith again, Chris feels weird. Yeah. This whole game is very weird. 
Um, Steve, what are your thoughts on uh, Revelations Jill's design? And, design uh, and and in uh, general, I guess we kind of okay. kind of got gone off track here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Aesthetically, it feels like they've tried to have the cake and eat it with both the Ferrari Five outfits, basically trying to have something between mm. the BSAA uniform and the cat suit, and it doesn't really work. Although it's at least got accented with the correct colours, so they at least know what blue is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, as for narrative, Jill could be anybody. You know, Chris could be anybody. They're in this game in name only. That could be like, you know, Jeff from down the pub. That could be <laughs> Jillian from down the pub. Doesn't really doesn't really mesh with their characters. And the, as you've already said, their interactions are kind of non-existent in terms of their actual character history. Yeah, It's kind of weak. Like, the, I think the most we get is, you know, something about, like, no, wait, no, I'm thinking of flipping... Lost in Nightmares now. I was going to say it kind of takes you back, doesn't it? That's Lost in Nightmares quote. Mm. Mind, it's not even that. So, yeah, it, that they could be literally anybody. Like, everybody else gets a bit more character enough to them. I mean, like, you know, we, we, we can't stand her, but we could definitely recognise that Jessica has a character in yes. this game. Jill, yeah. Jill uh, that's a plank of wood. Yeah. You know, no. uh, yeah I, I famously, I don't know about famously, but I did a... Uh, a chart of let me see if I can find it real quick. A, I did drawings of the Jills like throughout the ages, and I drew like classic Jill and remake Jill and everything. And for Revelations, I literally just drew a plank of wood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no shade on Michelle Roth. Like you know, you, you you say the lines that you're given. It's very. Oh, it is absolutely not her fault. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Early two thousands anime has the same feel. Like there's a reason why I only watch stuff from the '90s. So <laughs> I'm new stuff. I'm not. I'm not a total hipster. I promise. Uh, but yeah, in this game, it's very bland. Yes, I. It really is saying something when Parker Luciani, who is essentially just Italian version of Barry, has more <laughs> character in this game than Jill GD Valentine. It's such a shame. Um, yeah, Steve, you're right. It's. Clearly, they're trying to mash those two things together. But my problem is, is that if you're changing the face model, they should have done something to make it really obvious it's Jill for me. Like, the ponytail thing that she's got going on, that's all fine and dandy, whatever. It's clearly meant to tie into her appearance in Lost in Nightmares, where she's got that look. But this is a year beforehand or whatever. Give her short hair. I just kept her in the BSAA outfit that she has at well, one point in the game on. That would you know? that would be one solution, or just give her the classic sort of Jill Bob or whatever to make her go, oh, it's Jill Valentine. Because, yeah, she just she could really be anyone in writing and in look for me. it's yeah. it, it is also really weird that they changed her face because she was still Julia Voth in the E3 trailer, which, like, obviously there's right. nothing to do with the game. But it's like... She's still Julia Voth in that. She's still Julia Voth in the Mercenaries 3D demo. Um, and Chris is still the same dude from RE5. It's like, why, why did Jill have to get this bizarre change? It feels so weird. Yeah. I, and that's the problem, is that not in a vacuum, I can kind of deal with some of the stuff, but when we're sort of hyperfixating on it has really made me think out how bad this sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, I I agree. You know, Michelle Ruff is obviously a very accomplished actor, and I think this she's she's great. You know, I just don't think it's a good fit, and it was just a bad combination of new face and new voice, and it loses all that consistency. It's, it's this a shame. is the Jill Valentine version of Re Seven Chris. <laughs> yeah, 
It is. Yeah, it absolutely is that. Don't say that because now we're going to get that for other characters as well now. Oh, hey, to me, Michelle Ruff will always be that person who politely introduces the Crimson Head Elder podcast first. <laughs> Revelations Jill second. That's two shout-outs in one show, I think. Lucky yeah. name. <laughs> Steve, any more thoughts on Revelations Jill before we move on? Uh, if, it, if it could be anyone other than Jill Valentine, as a result, it actually somehow elevates Umbrella Chronicles Jill uh, in, in, the, <laughs> in the metaphysical rankings in my head. You know, again, at least no that shade game on the had characters. to be Jill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tober, any more final thoughts on Revelations? I feel like we've all bagged on it plenty, let's be fair. Revelations sucks. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> See, I, I like, like the raid game. mode. I, I, that's not relevant. I like, I like the raid I like, mode. <laughs> I, I like playing it on Switch because it's like the only game I've ever played on there that uses the SL and SR buttons. You use them to switch weapons when you're in hmm. uh, console mode. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I'm glad we got some the mood back up there. <laughs> All right. Well, a year later, the BSS the BSAA received intelligence about the potential of. Let me start again. A year later, the BSAA received intelligence about the potential whereabouts of Oswell E. Spencer, the only remaining Umbrella founder, and now a recluse forced into hiding with delusions of godhood. Because of their past histories, both Jill and Chris were selected by European headquarters to arrest Spencer and bring him in. They soon arrived at a rundown old mansion in Western Europe, eerily similar to the original Arclay estate in Raccoon Forest, and uncovered several revelations within. This is specifically Resident Evil 5's Lost in Nightmares DLC. And again, sort of like Umbrella Chronicles, I appreciate there's probably not a whole lot to dig into here because it's a, it's a very sort of short one-shot campaign. But in terms of going through everything beat by beat in terms of the lore, um, I figured it was worth talking about. Um, Patricia Jolly obviously playing Jill in this, as she does in the main Resident Evil 5 campaign. Um, so I, I won't say too much about that, but... What I can say is that the look of this game is, uh, you know, and no spoilers for that upcoming video we alluded to, but uh, top tier for me. I think you guys made a, a a good choice. I would put this right up there. Admittedly, I have a thing for girls in baseball caps, and I don't know why. So sue me on that one. But uh, I love the design. Super practical. Um, October, how do you feel about uh, Jill's BSAA costume? Because I mean, more than anything, it's actually nice to see her dressed up in that. You, you know that uniform because we don't really get any other opportunity to see it considering how sparing the Jill uh, entries are am I right? Yeah uh, I, I would say that both of their Lost in Nightmares costumes are pretty good Yeah, they both feel like evolutions that like as Jill has become like a professional monster hunter uh, <laughs> she's lost the shoulder pads she's lost like the extra gear so she's become this much lither character design mm. and i feel like that's an interesting evolution that like jill doesn't need protection anymore you could you could see it that way whereas chris has so much stuff on <laughs> he has like this gigantic chest pack of like like the the herb powders and grenades and all sorts of crap um <laughs> that, that that that's like that chris has gone into like extra preparation mode um yeah i i think she looks great i i think the baseball cap works um and again she she sticks with her color scheme yeah yeah totally um what about sort of minimal but the events of the dlc because i think there's at least one thing that needs to get talked about uh steve how do you feel about the sort of dual valentine moments of lost in nightmares 
Chris and Jill have chemistry. <laughs> My yes. God, it's taken over a decade, but we got there. You know, uh, it's fantastic. I love the little moments between them and Jill, between Chris and Jill in this, and just the stuff stand out alone. Like you know, the the, the 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 end of the DLC. Jill's like, you know, sod this. Wesker's about to kill Chris. Well, if nothing else, spears him out the window and dives him. It's a fantastic little bit of self sacrifice. Yep. You know, uh, I have a bias. You know, I'm a Vegeta post margin Vegeta stan. So I do love me a bit of suicidal, you know, trying to save the world action, which is fantastic. <laughs> her outfit, this is pure headcanon, by the way, right? Her outfit, to me, looks like kind of like a gender swap variant of Chris's. So in my head, it's Chris is like honoring Jill's quote-unquote memory by wearing an outfit that's very similar to hers in Lost in Nightmares. But that's just my own mental bias of speaking because I'm insane. <laughs> no, I like it. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, like, that, obviously, this is the moment that I wanted to touch on specifically. The self-sacrifice is, it really does feel like the next evolution of Catherine Dish's Jill that we talked about earlier. Like, it feels connected to that character, whereas Revelations, as we just talked about, no no such luck. Um, Even in this short DLC, I just get a lot of what Jill should be from this This. Uh, tiny little story, these little interactions in that one big moment that sort of rounds it out and brings us into Resident Evil 5. Um, October, any thoughts on sort of um, Jill's portrayal in the DLC? Uh, I like how like vibed out she is, that this is it isn't the same kind of checked out feeling I get from her in Umbrella Chronicles here. Right. Both her and Chris feel very in tune with everything and like nothing's really surprising them until the end that like this is their job they're professionals and i love her exchange with chris when they use the crank you know what is it with this guy and cranks and her just kind of right like like a better version of the aloofness it's just like he's a man of refined taste this just dismissive casual chat between the two of them i think it's great yeah. Oh, there's a banger of a line when they enter the cells, and like you know, Chris is basically someone lines up. Do you think someone's alive down here? Uh, and then Joe's like, "When have we ever been that lucky?" You know, <laughs> like, totally yeah. pessimi- obviously pessimistic, but also a realist about the situation. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Lots of nightmares is um, just the right kind of fan service in every way, isn't it? You know, the mansion, yeah. the hidden camera angle thing. It's just the writing between the characters makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. It's, as it's got the fan. fun doors too. It didn't need to do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and it's very easy to pick out things like that. But I think people shouldn't sleep on the the, the writing of it and the character interactions that we get between Chris and Jill. Because as uh, Steve, as you right, really pointed out, you know, they don't get a whole lot of. They haven't unfortunately had a lot of chance for on screen on screen chemistry. Um, throughout the years so this is probably the best of it in terms of Chris and Jill stuff for me Mm. Um, okay let's let's jump ahead again to RE5 proper the BSAA launched a three month investigation to locate the bodies but neither were ever found and Jill was declared dead on November 23rd 2006 by now Wesker replaced Jill into a cryogenic sleep having given her extensive medical treatment intending to use her as the first test subject for the completed Udo Budos virus but while she recovered 
Wesker noticed her body still contained traces of T-virus from her infection during the Raccoon City incident, albeit in a dormant state. Whilst comatose, the virus was reanimated before suddenly disappearing from her system altogether, leaving behind powerful antibodies to the virus. Wesker's development of the Uroboros virus had proven to be quite difficult. It had proven to be too poisonous for humans to be of much use. Instead of spurring the next step in human evolution, it only invited death. To counter this, Wesker theorised that using Jill's antibodies could make the virus less poisonous, and he kept her alive solely to produce antibodies for his research. During the research into the progenitor virus, a chemical was discovered. The researchers referred to it as P30. When administered to test subjects, it would not only give them superhuman strength, but also render them highly susceptible to control. Uh, but the, the effects of P30 would only last for a very short time. An injection of P30 was metabolized and expelled by the body at expeditious rates, requiring readministration of the drug at frequent intervals. The effects of continual administration were untested, so in order to research this aspect further, an administration device was attached to the body of Jill Valentine. The device was attached to her chest and would continue to administer the drug to her body. So, Resident Evil 5, uh, Patricia Jolly, as previously stated, um, unfortunately doesn't get a lot of scenes in a way because of the sort of setup of Resident Evil 5 as, of Jill is dead um, and then the again in sort of inverted commas revelation quote unquote of the the sort of hooded woman um, October how do we feel about Jill's I guess I guess Jill's story in Resident Evil 5 and her part in the story part she plays um I, it's it's good, but I, I'm not sure it was the right choice. Um, I, I I like the idea because Wesker and Chris have always had, well, more specifically, Chris has always hated Wesker. That goes all the way back to, I'd say, more specifically, remake one. Um, there's there's little he treats Chris very differently than he treats Jill in that game. Um. There's never really been an explanation why he just hates him, you know, unrequited love of maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, marketing tried really hard to push that Jill was dead and then spoiled it anyway in the launch trailer. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's it's a neat idea. I see what they were going for. I would be more into it if not for the fact that that was the last time we've seen Jill for a decade plus. Yeah, um, I get that. There's some sound. It is, it is it. well done though. Mm. I mean, the, the, I love the boss fight with her and the, the music sad, but true. Um, I, I think the idea of using her at, like against Chris, I think the performance is fantastic. I, I love her. You know, once she snapped out of it, I love the portrayal of her versus Chris, that Chris is so like, like he's like babying her and he's so worried about her. And she's like, I'm fine. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yes. Go after Wesker. Like they do that like two or three times. And I really like that, that, you know, that for Chris, he's, he's so overwhelmed with finally having her and not wanting to lose her again. And she's just like, wake up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good stuff. No, she does get some, yeah, heroic kind of moments. And, notwithstanding we're not really talking about desperate escape so much but if there's any thoughts obviously feel free to bundle them in here but um when josh shows up and you get him kind of almost like fanboying over meeting one of the original 11 bsaa members um that's really cool um and and 
you know, not just Chris as well, but she gets moments, a little moment with Sheva where she's asked for forgiveness for the things she's done under control. So she's got some cool character interactions in there. Um, Steve, how do you feel about Jill's place within the story of Resident Evil 5? Uh, complex. Like, uh, I feel like evil Jill wasn't quite tapped into enough, but I, uh, I actually, every scene where Jill's in, I'm hooked and I love it. Like, not, not, not necessarily, you know, Nina Gilliams, the actual Jill. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's, it's a weird one because she's the one who basically, like, like you said, she's the one who basically gets Chris's head on straight. Like, if you don't do something about it, Wesker's going to kill the world. He's like, well, yeah, but... Mm. You know, and she nudged in the right way. It's like, take care of him. Uh, I think we're all in agreement. Probably should have been her firing that rocket launcher in oh, tandem. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do love, like, quote-unquote, evil Jill's, like, one line, which is, what are you going to do about them? In a really threatening, monotonal way against Irving. Because if anyone's going to push Irving down, of course it will be Jill. <laughs> um, especially appreciate the fact that her outfit's purple, like you know, cause blue normally, purple evil, like you know, a distortion of her color palette's good. And then just generally, Patricia Jolie's performance in general feels like there's no point in this where I don't think that's something that Jill would or wouldn't do. It just it seems very in sync with what I see of her as a role. She feels very, especially in Desperate Escape, like a a soldier, a professional soldier who's been doing this for a while trying to keep on mission while, you know, Josh is being a bit of a clown with it with his uh, mate whose name escapes me. Um, so, yeah, I have no real complaints it... other than we don't see enough character variety, I suppose. We don't yeah. play much into the evil role except for a cool outfit in one line. Yeah, that's fair. I, uh, yeah, I can certainly see that. I'm glad that you brought up the battle suit, Steve, because uh, obviously we need to talk about the design. This, I mean, arguably kind of a... I wouldn't say a controversial design, but I think it's one that people have opinions about, certainly. Um, for me, you know, I don't mind the blonde Jill thing. That's fine. Um, the battle suit is logical, considering she's pumped full of a chemical that makes you a super athlete. Um, and considering it's Wesker that put it, her in it, and it, you could argue it's... Well, you know, it's, it, it is fairly sexualized, you know, the way that her... It's zipped down to a certain point, but uh, I could certainly get on board with the idea that Wesker kind of likes humiliating her like that. You know, I could t- yeah, totally see that. And Wesker's, you know, probably a bit of a creep, or, he, or at the very least, the voice actor who played Wesker in this game is a bit of a. Okay. But yeah, in terms of the design, it's never really outright horrified me uh not necessarily a thing that i would have picked out of a lineup but it doesn't offend me or anything like that um it's it's merely fine like i understand some of the logic behind it um oct how do you feel about jill's look in resident evil 5 um i'm glad they didn't go with uh whatever her original design was because if you look at her character portrait on mercenaries her suit is zipped all the way down to her groin and it it looks like something out of tekken um (laughs) but i mean i i get it like the cat suit she it's very of that era you know it's you know early to or mid to late 2000s um you know, she's supposed to look badass and live and very, uh, you know, she's got the kung foolery going on. Um, it's fine. I think that the beak cloaked costume is super cool and it's a shame you didn't get to see it more. Um, 
but yeah, it's it, you know it's anime action movie stuff. Um, uh, I I I'm glad that they didn't sexualize it more. Yeah. You know, I'm all about sexy, cute girls, whatever. Um, I would rather that be like a bonus costume thing and not like a canon main scenario costume. I agree that part of it is probably like Wesker humiliating her. He probably thinks that's funny. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. It's fine. It works. It fits the scenario. Yeah. Oh, and the blonde hair, which I know a lot of people are put off by. Um, I don't know. I just expect that she'll dye it. I, I, I've always, it's weird because I feel like the idea was probably to hide that it was Jill, that you'd be like, oh, well, Jill has brown hair. But it, you never see her hair before they take the hood off. So. Right. I guess there's that moment in uh, the second trailer where we see her in the tank and everyone thought she was Sherry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there is that. But when it comes to the actual game, considering the story is about Chris's search for Jill Valentine, it's it, you're right, it's handled in a really weird way because it's not like... You could have introduced her early and shown her and then revealed that it's Jill. Like, shown her to other characters or something or with her face obstructed, but just show the hair. I don't know. It's yeah, it's really weird that they do it all at once. I agree. Um, Steve, what's your take on the blonde hair and, and, you know, the design in general? I know you touched on it a little bit, but... Um, I would like to see in a future rendition of Jill, if we ever get one in quote-unquote present day, if she hasn't gone grey... If the blonde hair is still there, it's either just the hair as it is, or she's like tried to die over it, but you see the blonde roots. Like yeah. it's left a permanent effect, and a, a bit of continuity would be nice. Mm. Um, it doesn't bother me too much otherwise. A sign that something has changed, and obviously Jill's now got like so many viruses in the system. God knows what you know. Yeah. Um, anything could have happened there. Um, aesthetically, I can understand why some people would be a bit like, "Oh no, the sexy has doth cometh." Um, <laughs> But this is also the era where we had like Raiden from Metal Gear in a equally form hugging cat suit. Yeah, but that's that's that's. I, I'm, I, 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 this is totally male gaze. I, I get that. I do. And Wesker is a total bastard. I do totally agree with that. Um, my point is, I'm not totally offended by it. I, under, I can understand why the narrative reason why it would be there. I oh, still I should, think it's I should kind clarify. Of crap. I'm not offended by it at all. It could be way worse, like Jessica or poor Rachel that doesn't even have a yeah. face. It's fine. Yeah. Um, it's, it it's feels just, a bit like it's from a wrong game franchise, was where I was it going. It feels <laughs> weird, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's bad now. In, in, the, in the thrust of everything we've seen and whatnot, you know, it's a, it's a part of their character's history now. So I could see it as an alternate costume in something other or other down the line. I mean, they even referenced it in RE Zero a bit. Admittedly, that's more of somewhere between a proper uniform and a cat suit that what Rebecca gets. Yeah, Rebecca gets Westeros. that fun. Uh, yeah, that that outfit was kind of cool looking. Mm, just a bit more conservative than the version Jill gets in this one. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it fits. Like Jill has the tube top in RE Three, and you know Rebecca has. Uh, like the the craziest she gets is like she has her clubbing costume, mm. Mm. or no, it's called leather. Chev is the one that has the clubbing costume, or clubbing, I should say. <laughs> I don't think it has a G on it. So yeah, if if I had to put a nail on it, I'd say it's more of a Metal Gear outfit that's straight into Resident Evil. It doesn't offend me; it just feels a bit weird. Yeah, that's fair. That's certainly fair. Um, you guys have all really touched on 
everything that I had to say. You know, I agree. It will always be a shame that she didn't get that final moment of awesome in this game. Um, that she doesn't get to kill off Wesker after all that she's been through. Through that's the biggest problem. Yeah, it. She should have been the one holding the rocket, not Sheva. Yeah, I don't want to. Sheva's awesome, and I don't want to belittle her at all. It should have been Jill. Yeah. Oh, I have one last thing. Um, it's in my notes here. I want to talk about how it's a shame we didn't get an actual like boss fight with quote unquote plague Doctor Jill before she's revealed. Also, would have been cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Playing into the outfit a bit more because you know. Steve nowadays is a big fan of Bloodborne and Eileen the Crow has the same outfit and therefore wants to see it on every badass any <laughs> game ever. There you go. Take notes, Capcom. All these things for the eventual Resident Evil 5 remake. More Plague Doctors. <laughs> hey, yeah, it's RE5 remake in, in 2026. Yeah. Give us more Plague Doctor Jill and have Jill be the one that offs Wesker with Chris. Yeah, agree. Totally. Um, cool. I've, yeah, um... October, any more final thoughts on Jill and Resident Evil 5? I mean, I guess one point is that we haven't really talked about the fact that this is the final canonical appearance. Like, how does that sit with you? Is that, especially considering the the vastly different design compared to the other games, how does that kind of sit at this point? Um, I like the idea of Jill suffering from, like, actual PTSD from this. Um, the only other character, like... Chris has his thing in RE6, but it's like, is that trauma or is that head trauma, considering he's whacked on the pavement so hard, the pavement cracks. You have Leon becoming a depressed alcoholic because a couple of characters that have no names or faces and we had never heard of before died. <laughs> um, but Jill and Rebecca are the only characters that have... Well, Jill, technically not. It's... You, it's something you can assume. Rebecca has like actual PTSD and she has like a full blown panic attack in the stage and sort of mm -hmm. kind of, she likes, she's like panicking and hyperventilating and vendetta. Um, with Jill, you know, the, in revelations two, which was the last time we've ever heard from her in uh, you find a letter from, from her to Barry where she's basically just saying she's bored. Um, in theory, they will bring her back someday. She's a super popular character. I like the idea of her having trauma. I think it would really fit with this, with where her character has gone. Um, as it is, and this doesn't, this isn't even just Jill, but the series in general. I love RE7. I thought Village was pretty okay. Stop. It's a lot of, not just Jill, a lot of these characters we haven't seen in years and years and years. Please do something with them, but definitely please do Jill next because it's been a long time. Yep. And Remake 3 does not count. It just does not. No, yeah. Please. It's been even real world in game timeline. It's been a decade. She was not being tested on for a decade. That's ridiculous. <laughs> mm -hmm. So We need present day Jill. Like, please. Yeah, it, it, it is, like, actually low-key infuriating now. Like, there's that one note, as October's already talked about, where she's being tested on by the BSAA. And I can get that Jill would have trauma, but then let's have a game exploring that. You can go balls to the wall crazy with that if you do a full Resident Evil head f somewhere between Silent yeah. Hill and that, with Jill dealing with it. Imagine Jill, like, having, like, Dead Space 2-style trauma, where, like, she's having visions and and she's like dipping in and out of recollections of the mansion and, and RE3 and, and even RE5. Like, there's so much potential there. Mm. And it's in RE Village, like, kind of dabbling with that sort of thing makes me excited that 
maybe that's on the table. If we do it's get a present day Jill, though, I want her to save the day and not be saved by somebody for once. Yes, please. Let her save somebody else. Let her have, have her save Chris or Rebecca or somebody. Have her save somebody else. Mm. Dream scenario would be um, a new game, a new entry set in the present day, as you guys have said, where we don't even know. I, I'm, if I close my eyes, we don't know that she's even going to be in it. We play it for the first time. She turns up to save the day near the end. Like, the the deep joy that that would bring to so many people, I can't fathom. Um, I agree. She needs to make a return. It's lo- Steve, you're right. It's it's getting to a joke now, isn't it? Where it's like... She might as well have died in RE5. Absolutely. Yeah, to, to some degree, yeah. It's like... I don't know. It's a strange thing. Like, obviously, I've aired some of these grievances previously with a. If you haven't seen the video I put out a while back, Resident Evil: The Next Generation, where I kind of went into this, it's like these legacy characters are getting to the point now where we are only going to see Leon and Chris because that. And this speaks to a wider problem within entertainment in general. But you know, men can get old in media and come back. Um, Capcom will be hesitant to put a 40 year old plus Jill Valentine in a game for whatever See, reason I, um, they can I, do a sex machina that though they've got enough virus well, pea soup in as well sure. yeah I, I would not at all be surprised if they just pulled what they pulled with Sherry where they just go like Sherry will look 18 forever right. but Jill will just look like she's 30 for the rest of time so well, they can same token whenever. same token Laurie Strode and Sarah Connor you know both have had a age lady lead protagonist in a film of late and I know this is more of a western thing but I thought it was kind of badass you know Halloween and uh, Terminator name completely escapes me but they looked (laughs) awesome you know so maybe we could roll with that even if it's just once as an experimental thing I could totally get behind that if it if you want to get really close to home with it look how popular Lady D was you know not necessarily because of her age but she's you know not a okay she's hundreds of years old but like physically speaking she's not a spry 21 year old is she she's meant to be you know a middle-aged woman and was you know hugely popular for various reasons but yeah it's not outside of the world of possibility i agree they're probably going to do the sherry thing and that's completely fine if they bring her back and say she just doesn't grow older anymore fine whatever the important thing is some resolution would be nice uh in contrast to lady d uh, and your point, though, you know, big, bad, scary Mother Miranda is permanently in her early 30s. Yeah, true. Very true. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird one. But, you know, I, I guess I have hope now that we've had now that we've had remake three and Capcom seem to have selected a voice actor and a face. Um, maybe we'll get some more Jill, whether that's stories that are spliced in between others or something that's set in the present day, because October, as you rightly said, there's plenty of room. You know, she's not been sitting around for a decade. In 2011, I think those letters to Barry are written. Um, yeah. That's that's still a decade away. If she was bored then, she could have done something within the next six months that we just don't know about. So by all means, please, Capcom, start inserting those stories back in because these characters aren't getting any younger. Um, and if you want to include yeah, I, them in stories, I, that's how to do it. I get... Remake 4, all signs point to that being next. After that, please, something, anything. I don't care if it's a side story or a numbered game. Anything. At this point, I'll take her in one of the dumbass animes. 
do something. <laughs> this is um, probably a bit off topic, but wasn't there a build of 3.5 that in some way featured Jill Valentine? Am I going crazy? Uh, Jill's model was used as a placeholder for Ada. Uh, maybe they uh, could just... Yeah, it was her remake character model, but they put her in like a coat. Um, just She was just a placeholder. Dang. I'd say throw Jill in there somehow for whatever reason. She's just like on holiday in Europe at the time and stumbles upon the village. She goes, oh, wow, it's all kicking off here, lads. <laughs> um, yeah. No, exactly. Imagine if Jill was in the RE Village DLC. People would die. I. It's not outside of the realm imagine of possibility. Imagine if Jill either. was... She imagine should have been part of that squad. Of Hound Wolf, imagine if Hound Wolf Squad was all stars members instead of characters we'll never see again. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can, you know, dare to dream. That's what I say, dare to dream. Um, not against new characters, by the way. It's just, they, that was the perfect opportunity, the perfect end for like Barry, Carlos, Jill, and instead we get Unknown Dude, Unknown Dude, and Tundra. You know, it's a shame. I remember being so excited because Tundra has blonde hair, and I was like, "Oh my god, it is Jill!" And then you look, and it's like, "No, she's some lady that Chris met in a story we don't know and probably won't ever be told." Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Let's bring the mood back up. Let's talk about. Yeah, yeah. I know we're all. This is the, what happens when you start talking about Jill. It's like, yeah, but I want it back. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about favorite appearance. What is? Let's nail it right down. If you had to pick one now, out of all the Jill Valentine appearances and entries that we talked about today, what is everyone's number one? October. Let's start with you. What's your favorite Jill Valentine appearance? Remake one. I, I love remake one. I mean, why not? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. The performance is great. The character design is great, and the the tweaks they made to her story are great. Um, I love RA three, and I love the remake three version of her. But yeah, I think I'm gonna have to go with remake one. Steve, oh pain! I have physical pain right now. Um, see, it's more so the ones that irritate me the least. I kid. I, kid. <laughs> I think the one that the one that like ticks all the boxes as to this is something Jill Valentine should do in my head immediately goes to RE5 Jill, like specifically you know Lost in Nightmares and Unbrainwashed Jill. But I have an affinity for the sheer aloof and dumbness of the original RE1. I have uh, a big thing for Saturday morning cartoon Jill. And Remake 3 Jill's badass action movie. So they're like they're all fantastic. But I can't stay on a fence, so therefore RE5. Nice. Interesting. I love that. Um, I think mine's fairly obvious. It was the one that I kind of lost my mind talking about earlier. Um, classic RE3. Maybe there's a little bit of nostalgia there, but I just think her character is so fully formed in that game. Every interaction that she has just adds to who Jill Valentine is. Um, And Catherine Disher just hit a home run with it, honestly. Um, I think what's even better about that is the fact that we all picked vastly different things. Like, not every single entry that we talked about today is gold, but there's so much great choice and variation there to pick from so I think it says a lot that we all picked something different um, you know I was half expecting someone to just sort of go out on a whim and be like oh yeah Resident Evil Apocalypse Jill there we go <laughs> so uh, my well, favourite well, well, show is Welcome to Raccoon City oh okay excellent go for it <laughs> 
Please explain why. <laughs> oh, God, no. Uh, uh, she's I, I, Wesker's boyfriend, girlfriend, <laughs> She's Wesker's, well, she's Wesker's friend, who is a bit of a gun nut, but is nice to Leon that one time, and that's all I remember. Uh, I, I said it earlier, I actually do really like Welcome to Raccoon City. I, I went out and I found the 4K Blu-ray in the, in the Steelbook case. It was not easy for some bizarre reason. Mm. But um, Jill is absolutely the weakest link of that film. She's the character that's that's least like her game appearance while also not bringing anything to the table. Um, like, Wesker isn't really game Wesker, but at least it's an interesting, different interpretation that <laughs> seems like it's kind of trying to do its own thing. Jill is Vasquez from Aliens, but nuts. yeah. yeah. I mean, she's she's like a detriment. Like she's like this trigger happy. I mean, I mean, she is a cop in America, but she's this trigger happy nutcase. That's like, I, I don't know. And she's like kind of weird and in, in, uh, in terms of her portrayal, scene to scene, like she's really nice to Leon, but like she also just aimed like an actual loaded gun at him in a public <laughs> space. Right. Um, uh, with her finger on the trigger, I don't remember observing proper trigger discipline there. Um, it's uh, and it's just really disappointing to me. Clearly, in an earlier draft of that script, her and Wesker were dating. It's it's so obvious when mm. you watch the final film that they just snipped it out at the last second. Um, but I do really like the uh, the ending of her shooting Wesker in the back. I thought that was a great uh, way of bringing the two characters' arcs together. Her immediately running over and comforting him, not so much. hate that. But it's, it is uh, between her and Resident Evil Apocalypse Jill, which I, I don't think it's a controversial opinion to say that she's pretty much fine. Yeah. She, she, she feels like Jill enough that she between the two, she's the one that's not great, which is a shame because that actress is great. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we definitely agree with that when we went over it um, when, it, when the movie came out. I kind of said about Resident Evil Pockets Jill was a bit of a joke, but like in the film, like she's it's a she's a highlight in terms of like oh it's Resident Evil. Like they they cast great, you know. Sienna played her great. It's just a shame that you know as we've talked about at length, and all of us Resident Evil fans, not just First Aid Spray, massively overshadowed by Alice. But there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then she was ruthless. in uh, four and five, uh, and then killed off camera. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's not tried to. Where's that? Us. Where's that one reaction image that October's got of Ashley holding a phone? Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think of when and killed off camera. Um, yeah. No. Uh, I, I love that one sequence we introduced to Jill in Apocalypse. Like, uh, uh, full disclosure, listeners, as I am the one who went and like complained so much about Apocalypse back in the day in film club. Uh, yeah, I would still probably have watched a film if it was just Jill, even though she is a bit of a psychopath walking straight into a police precinct and starting blasting. Um, so anyway, I started blasting. Yeah, yeah. I had my guns. <laughs> you know, Dan DeVito style. Um, but yeah, the, no offense to Hannah. You know, you get what you've written, aren't you? You can't do much. Right. That, that was clearly the problem, I think. 
Okay, well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our patrons, and our listeners. Join the First Days Parade Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and more. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fasebraypod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash fasebraypod for as little as $1 a month. On our next episode, it's been a year since we covered the original game, so it's time we went back into the Spencer Mansion once more. But this time we'll be delving for death masks, chased by crimson heads, and feeling terrified at the fate of the Trevor family as we celebrate our 50th episode with the 20th anniversary of Resident Evil's 2002 remake. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of us individually. I'm at Sarniac underscore one, two, three. Steve was at FB. Steve was taken. And October is at Sissel the Cat. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. most off about the Resident Evil fandom in general is the fact they can build a rod for their own back and then somehow that's Capcom's fault. Like, I know Capcom's oh, yeah. up, but Jesus Christ, the amount of times people like go, oh, it's this, this, and this, and like, actually, no, no, it's not. It's, it's exactly a website what Capcom update. Is gonna be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, or just like assuming things without any cause at all, like, and getting like mad at people, like yelling at poor Cat on Twitter about like, mm-hmm. where's CVX remake? It's like, what the, f- leave her alone. Yeah. <laughs> What's I mean, wrong with you? My re- my reaction to Code Veronica is very unique in the fandom. That I'm very say the line, but uh, when people are going to talk about how underrated it is, because every f- day am I told that game is underrated. Um, <laughs> not to be completely cards on the table about that brilliantly paced game. Yeah, I, fantastic I, soundtrack. But I know. Jesus. I know that everyone really loves Code Veronica. I don't. I just think it's. <laughs> I think it's kind of boring and it has really jagged pacing. All right, jeez. Yeah. Come on. But like, first I, you insult Survivor, now Code Veronica. Yeah. I see my opinions are I know. I love... <laughs> see, that's the thing, is that's why I would love a remake, is that I love yeah. the story. Yeah. yeah. 100%. I the story and, and I loved the uh, the updates to it they did in Darkseid Chronicles, where they made Alfred, like, even more nuts. Like, that's, that's great, and I'd love to see that in a remake, but it, it very much does not seem to be in the cards, so... Mm. Oh well, at least at least it's playable. It's it's not trapped to time like RE one through three. You can play Code Veronica on pretty much everything but Switch, right? And PC, unless of course you want to go down uh, piratey paths. Mm. I mean, that's why it's particularly although they picked Outbreak for the RE history thing, right? Because it's another example of a game just being locked in, on a system. Yeah, you know, playing with a loaded gun. If you ask me, the, the fandom. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's things like when Capcom did that countdown thing for the 25th anniversary, and they're showing those like really nice, cleaned up, crisp versions of the RE one, two, and three menus with like a new version of the font text. It's like super clean. It was like, oh my god, they're doing it. it's like no, it's just the thing they did for Twitter. But it's like whoever was in charge of that made a bad call. Yeah. There's no other way to interpret that, and it the fact that they still aren't doing it is just mind-boggling to me mm. even if they've lost the code i don't know do it 
Kingdom Hearts didn't just rebuild it. The games are only like 250 megabytes. Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> not oh, my not to be angry, but just come on. Just don't call it Resident Evil 2.8, please. <laughs> Resident Evil 2.8 Final Mix Ultra Dream version, whatever yeah. the Kingdom Hearts stupid naming <laughs> <Super>. schemes are. <laughs> Duodecim. <laughs> I, I, I hate Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> God damn it. 